joining us on the Path Radio Mix online. And to get there, type in thepathradio.com. That's thepathradio.com. And enjoy free streaming music all day long. That's it. thepathradio.com. All right, now let's get to the main show, the monthly social podcast with me, your host, Guido Perino, as you go on with Guido. Happy New Year, everybody, and welcome January 1st, 2022. I hope New Year's Eve was safe for you and that you're enjoying your New Year's Day. And I wish you from the podcast, myself, everybody here, the very best for 2022. Let's get this podcast going and find out what we've got on tap for you to kick off the new year. We're going to start things off with a personal up-close chat with six-time billboarding Canadian artist Franklin McKay as he also releases a brand new song this month called Don't Forget Love. We're also going to chat with the acting mayor of Richmond Hill, Ontario in Southern Ontario, Canada, uh, Joe DePaola, and we're going to chat with him just about vision, pandemic, future, and the upcoming by-election there. A lot to hear and learn from that conversation. We're going to take a look at the trends for 2022 around food, health, money, and real estate. So that'll be interesting to check out. And of course, we're going to have our four fans talk sports, and we're going to cover the Olympics, Formula One, the NHL, the CFL, and a whole lot more. I've also got an article for you around returning to the office for work. We're going to look at mental health and physical health and economics and geography and a whole bunch more. Folks, Welcome to January 2022. I hope you enjoy the podcast. There's a lot of stuff here as usual. Now, let's go. But first, a quick word from one of our friends of the podcast, Johnny Prosciutto. Johnny Prosciutto, artisanal, Italian, homemade products. We make it like our grandfather, or as we say, no, no. Naturally cured, old-fashioned, and delicious. The best part? We deliver straight to your front door. We offer free shipping when spending over $99. Order online at johnnyprosciutto.com and stay safe. And when you use the code GOGUIDO, you're going to save $10 off your entire order. That's the code GOGUIDO on johnnyprosciutto.com. I'd like to welcome to the podcast six-time Billboard independent artist who has also served as a 2018 judge for the Juno Awards. He's worked with several musicians, performers, and writers over the years, including Harry Hess of Harem Scarum, Bill Champlin of Chicago, Mark Jordan of Rod Stewart, Heather Rankin, the Rankin family, Greg Fitzgerald, Madonna, Holland Oates, to name a few. I think that list could just go on and on. Franklin McKay. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for being here, and how are you doing? Hey, Guido. Thanks for having me uh, today. Uh, doing pretty good, minus the uh, COVID, and uh, hopefully we get past that uh, sooner than later. Yeah, no kidding. Um, it's been, I guess, almost 24 months, two years, that we've been dealing with COVID now. 
um, and it certainly has been difficult for uh, for folks. Um, now, just staying on track with that, and I, I wanted to get right into the music on this one um, because you recently released a new um, Christmas song this past December called Christmas Ain't the Same Without You. Uh, yeah, I, I decided that uh, it'd be good to have a new Christmas song that was a little more reflective and a less uh, less upbeat, less cheery. You know, just because uh, with COVID and, you know, I lost my mom a few years back, uh, you know, not everybody's jingle bell happy at uh, Christmas. And so I think as songwriters, uh, I, I co-wrote this with Harry Hess, and uh, I think as songwriters, we try to mirror what people are feeling, what we're feeling ourselves, what's going on in, in life. And um, so essentially it, it was a conscious decision to sort of move in that direction as opposed to something that was just, you know, happy and upbeat. Um, you know, somebody called it a bit of a downer and I said, well, it's a little more reflective, but, uh, yeah, it turned out really, really nice. And, uh, like you said, uh, I think people can relate to it based on even the COVID, uh, two years of COVID. Was it, was it harder to write than some of your other stuff? Uh, Harry and I have a, a pretty consistent system where we usually start with titles, um, you know, and play around with melodies and then sort of work, you know, the lyric into the melody once, once something develops. And I mean, he's a super, super talented guy that's been doing this a long, long time. And so, I mean, I've learned, you know, tons from him. Um, so to say that it was harder, not really, but I mean, you're going after different flavor, uh, you yeah. know, and essentially when you're, when you're doing that, things just sort of take a, a natural course or a natural direction. And, uh, the song sort of, you know, goes where it's going to go once, once you have that spark. So some of the lyrics and you, you mentioned and this is where I said, we're going to get a little bit into COVID. Whereas were you drawing on the COVID experience for people? Uh, not, not, I mean, particularly, um, obviously the COVID experience, whether people want to admit it or not, is changed us. Um, you know, you may not be consciously reflecting on it, but clearly it's, mm -hmm. it's been a, a part of our lives, all of us for two years. So yeah, I mean, obviously it's influencing pretty much everything anybody's doing, including songwriters and myself and Harry. Um, but like I said, we have a system we use, uh, and, you know, once, once that original idea starts, um, we build on that and it sort of snowballs and takes sort of its own course. And, you know, we'll go back and forth sometimes on lyric and, um, syllables and, oh, this doesn't sing well. That's a great lyric, but it doesn't sound right. And, it, you know, we'll, we'll dissect the song to completion until we've, we've done everything we possibly can do. And at that point, we know in our heart of hearts that it's right. And when we get to that point, when we know it's right, and we've left no stone unturned in the writing process, uh, that that's when we can let go and say, "Okay, let's let's let it uh, get out to the world." It's always it's always interesting to hear that. Um, you know, like as a fan, if I just sit back and I listen to the music as a fan, um, you just hear the end end result, right? The end product. But there's you know, the detail you're giving on some of the process and steps that you go through to create it. 
seems quite uh, quite intricate. So I, I want to thank you for just giving us a little bit of that insight into that. I really enjoyed the song. I, I the, the the melody is is a fantastic melody. Um, you've got some really powerful vocals on it, um, and it just you know it gave it gave me a deep appreciation for how Christmas really isn't the same. Um, you know, it's a global rapper that that extends beyond the pandemic. Um, it has the power to reach into many social themes like relationships and, and homelessness and hunger and poverty and love. And I, I think that when you have a, a, a piece of music that can sort of transcend all those things, you're really connecting with a, a really wide audience, um, what, Franklin. Um, so thanks for giving us that. I, I'm always appreciative of, of a good piece of music. So thank you for giving us that. Well, thanks for listening and thanks for sharing. Yeah, and, and, and the fans, right? You got some really good good reception on it. Now, I, I mentioned in the opening that you're a, a six-time billboarding artist. Um, you've penned and delivered some hits like More Than a Memory or Destiny or This Christmas. Um, and I'm going to talk about that in a second. Um, I'll, I'll Lift You Up When You Are Down, which I think is one of my favorites. Uh, Invincible. And, and then your most recent one in 2021, Breath of Life. Like, like I'm, I'm rhyming those off. And then you have this other large library of, of, of music. It just seems like such a tremendous accomplishment. Has it, has it sunk in that you've charted six songs, all in the top 50 for adult, contemporary, and Christian airplay? Um, I, I, I think it's sunk in. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of the achievement. And, you know, I learned on uh, early on in the process that a lot of this is not just about charting. It's, it's about a catalog that you're building. But... You know, I think I think Heather Rankin and I at one point discussed. It's about the journey. Um, it's about the people you meet. And you know, while I've been doing this, I've met so many wonderful people—musicians, non-musicians, um, fans. So you know, I, I'm I'm grateful that we chart. I'm grateful to all the radio stations that play the songs and continue to play them. Uh, you know, around the world. Uh, but I don't use charting anymore I, I, I may have in the beginning to, to sort of benchmark accomplishments based on how high a chart charted a song that is I, I don't use that anymore as, as a measuring stick for the only um, success of that song I you know it's how I feel about it it's how it's received by others it's how you know I, I, one time I had a, a, a young girl I think she was like 14 or 15 who had heard my song someone in, in somewhere on Sirius satellite radio in the states and it was funny because uh, i happened to see one of her posts about the song on youtube at the time and she was like oh my goodness i finally found the artist and you know my friend gary trusted billboard says isn't that the coolest thing in the world to know <laughs> that you know some kid or some you know fan somewhere around the world that listens to your music all the time and you know if they were ever to meet you it'd be like so exciting for them and i never used to think about it that way um but then i you know i realized because you're you're too busy focusing on the business side the writing side you, you know i i don't get caught up in you know that that other side of it in a sense and and i realized yeah it's pretty neat that uh there's people out there that that really dig the music and you know, listen to it regularly. So, um, yeah, it's, it's kind of neat. That's a, that's a feel good story. Um, would you say that you, uh, you can be accessible to your fans? Well, I, I think at the end of the day, uh, accessible, sure. Uh, 
I do some social media. I have people that do my social media as well. Um, but I'm not super comfortable with, you know, being the center of attention. I mean, for me personally, essentially, it's about the songs. It's always been about the music, about the songs, less about Franklin. Um, and, you know, I'm sort of shifting into a place where I, I would like to start having other people and other great artists and, you know, new artists cut the material and making it their own. But, you know, because my, my heart is in the writing and, you know, being part of that process. Um, but I'm not a big fan of, you know, or never have been. I If you had a magic wand, Guido, and said I could make you, you know, ultra famous, I, I would turn it down. Um, I, I just don't see that as sort of mixing with my personality and I'm pretty private. And so, you know, I, I, I realize that it's a bit of a dichotomy in the sense where, Hey, you're charting billboard <laughs> hits and, you know, but you don't want anybody to really get too intimate with you. So yeah, it's a weird balance. Um, but to be part of the writing and have the songs have lives and, you know, future songs get cut by other artists, that's kind of where I, I feel most comfortable. So, um, I'm accessible, obviously, to, to a degree, but like I said, um, I don't even have a personal Facebook because, you know, I'd rather have real-life relationships and real-life phone calls and real-life, right. you know, meet and greets where you're hanging out with your friends, not not just, like, texting, you know, how somebody's doing, but actually spending time with them. So, you know, I hope that, that gives a little I, insight to that, that's, that question. That's incredible, and, and, and what what transparency for fans and folks listening for you to be able to share that level of of intimacy with with respect to you know yourself and how you approach the music and how you approach being a six-time billboarding artist with that with that music um you, you talked about other people you know um doing the music and there was a song this christmas that this past december um you penned that song but you had um, Bill Champlin of Chicago, uh, Chicago um, Joseph Williams, Toto, Peter uh, Fernstadt. Um, they did a video and re- released that song, right? Uh, yeah, but I will correct you. Oh. you know, they, it was the best day of the year. And oh, sorry. Great. Right. The best yeah, day of no the year. No problem. Hey, uh, it's, it's hard to keep up on everything, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but at the end of the day, yeah, uh, so so Peter, Bill, and, and Joseph uh, um, released it with their band, like, you know, this, I don't know, a few weeks ago anyways. It's doing really, really well, um, you know, and having a legend like Bill Champlin. I mean, you know, most people know him from Chicago, but if you ever get a chance to look through that guy's, um, you know, credits, it's, it's just remarkable. He is. He sings on Little Genie for Elton mm-hmm. John. He sings on 20 Years with Kenny Rogers. He sings on Bob Marley. He composed for Frank Sinatra, uh, Elvis Presley. I mean, he had his credits go on and on and on and on. And it's, I'm just naming a few. Right. Uh, you know, so to have a guy like that who I, I you know, have the pleasure of being friends with um, through this journey that we talked about earlier. One of the most nice, you know, nicest men you'll ever meet. Uh, super down to earth, super cool, very supportive. So, yeah, having him cut the track and Joseph Williams from Toto, and yeah, it's pretty remarkable when you think about it. So, um, yeah, very happy that that happened, and hope to do some more. And I'm, you know, in in 
negotiation with uh, Sony Music Japan uh, to try and get some more cuts because you know they did a licensing deal with the track as well. So yeah, some good things happen when you you put out good material, right? That's exciting. That's exciting. And I was sitting here, I was scratching my head because you had to correct me on the song, and I was going this Christmas. So what's happened there is that that song has played in our house a lot the last few weeks <laughs> from the uh, from the Path Radio Mix Online station and. And uh, the kids and the family here, they, they've, they've loved it. And so I, for whatever reason, when it comes to Christmas, I, I've had that song in my head. <laughs> so. Nice. Well, that was, that was uh, originally Harry and I did that one as well as Best Day of the Year. I mean, I, I predominantly either write alone or with Harry or with Greg Fitzgerald, as you mentioned earlier. Right. Um, you know, we have good, good chemistry and stuff. So you always want to make sure that, you know, as uh, – you know, a quick little interesting story I'll, I'll share yeah. is, is you know, there was an article about Bill one time and, you know, uh, I think the newspaper sliced off the, the picture, you know, uh, inappropriately where, you know, they took him out of the shot a little bit. And I, I got really upset at it because, you know, I, I, I seen it as a bit disrespectful. Right. And so, you know, I sent a letter or an email to the, the paper saying, hey, you know, I don't know if it's too late, but th- there was a glitch somewhere along. I wasn't blaming anybody, but, you know, there, there may have been a glitch with the, with the crop. Anyways, I felt bad. I called Bill and I said, hey, by the way, you know, um, I, I don't know what happened with this picture, but that's not the correct picture that was sent to them. Um, and he's like, yeah, don't worry about it. You know, if I, had a, if I had a dime or something to that effect for every time, somebody spelled my name wrong, you know, I, I could literally, so, I mean, being the pro he is, he blew it off and gets that, you know, people, that's just the way it is sometimes, right. you know, and for me, the fact is I still cared and, and, you know, the, the paying attention to detail, just like when you're writing and working on a song. Um, but anyways, you know, just to interject a little story, he had mentioned, you know, one time about singing on Elton John's record and Elton, you know, called people, personally to ensure that he knew the spelling the correct spelling of the guys who were on the records names hmm. and, and and this is at a time when elton was a megastar right? right and so and it not and he still is obviously but you know the point is he, t- he took pride and he took you know uh personal responsibility that yeah. he wanted to make sure when somebody worked on his record that he had their name spelled right because that was very important um so, you know, I think, you know, even you and I have discussed, uh, you know, in, in the past a little bit about, you know, that generational yep. uh, quality sort of sometimes lacking in today's world. So, um, you know, at, at the end of the day, that's kind of how I feel about, you know. That's awesome. And, and yeah, you're right. To have that level of, of accountability and to be able to work with uh, professionals who have that level of, of accountability. Um says a lot about you know the way that you approach the the music and the art as well now look at i i we've i've asked or, or i've mentioned these names a number of times and, and you have too in our conversation industry names like harry hess and bill champlin and mark jordan and and heather and you mentioned heather rankin um those are some big names um you know i i want to imagine that that you know they would provide some inspiration as you start working with with folks like that but you also have a, a very personal inspiration uh, for your talent, which is your mom. Um, really, if, if we can, how influential has she been in, in your music and where you're at with that? 
Well, I, I mean, if it wasn't for my mom, I probably wouldn't wouldn't be doing music to begin with. And uh, I mean, I remember as a kid, she she had these old, uh, you know, the turntables with the speakers, and we always had music around the house. Um, you know, I, I remember some of the albums too. Like she had, you know, Barbra Streisand and Roger Whittaker and Donny Osmond, and <laughs> you know, and, and even you know the Bee Gees and like. So I grew up with a pretty good selection of music that was always playing, and I think when I was about five or six, she bought a she bought a piano, an upright, and you know she made me take lessons. And I always tell this story in interviews, but I was a terrible uh, piano student. I didn't practice. I, I didn't like it. I hated it. <laughs> um, I like playing the piano and I like the sounds, but I I was more interested in you know trying to write my own little thing than learning somebody else's. Um, and, you know, I kind of used to have a pretty good year, so I would sort of fudge it as far as I could through the lesson. And then when I made a mistake, he's like, we'll start from there. And he'd realize, oh, you didn't learn this. <laughs> um, and that was a Sioux guy, actually, Bernie Bernie Stewart's, uh, Stewart's. Uh, and so anyways, we, we've kept in touch over the years, and uh, I'm grateful for him. Being the teacher he was, uh, and I apologized to him that I was such a crappy student. <laughs> um, but anyways, that's where it started. My mom, it, you know, she she insisted that I learn piano. She had me in the music lessons, you know, all through my early ages or age and uh, years. And you know, and then she was very supportive. I remember when you know, and this is a technology music geek thing, but. Uh, I, I think it was like 1986 or 1987. Korg came out with a new keyboard. It was state of the art called the uh, the Korg M1. And so we went down to Arnills in Sault Ste. Marie. Uh, oh, yeah. Our, Street. Arnills Music, right? Yeah, Arnills yeah, Music. Yeah, yeah. Wow. I haven't I heard, heard that name in a long time. Yeah, I remember yeah. the lady's name was Valerie, was the, the daughter. And, um, yeah, yeah. And her mother owned it. And, well, they both, it was a family business. And, anyways, I remember like going in as a kid, you know, I think it was like 16 or something. And the thing was like, and we're talking 1987 or 86. Uh, it was $4,000 plus tax. Wow. Right? And I remember my mom bought it for me. I was like, and I went home and this thing was like state of the art and it, it had an eight track recording in it. <laughs> and so I just used to write songs and I, I'd record with it. I try and create sounds and, you know, and, and it was those kind of uh, reasons that I probably got into music because my mom was very, um, you know, influential in putting me in lessons. But then, you know, on the back end of that, she also allowed me to find my own path and supported, right. you know, supported me through the purchasing of, you know, uh, synthesizers and sort of. So, yeah, it's it, it was a full circle. And uh, before she passed, I mean, she got to hear, hear the records and. You know, she she would smile, and so I, I it, you know, I owe her a lot. Uh, what a what very, a great what a great memory, uh, what a great memory, Franklin, and 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 for you know for you to go from, you know the the stages of ah, I don't really want to do this to immersing yourself into the technology and the advancements as as that happened throughout the years. I guess it's safe to say that that while other kids were were playing uh, ball hockey on the streets of Sault Saint Marie, you were you were pianoing. <laughs> well, I would, well, I'd get called out of the ball hockey games. Uh, and, and no I, way. I grew up in a neighborhood with, yeah. like, the, Paul DePietro was on my street hockey team, who we know was a Stanley Cup champion. Right. So I was surrounded by, like, really good hockey players. And 
we're super competitive and I mean, you know, in, in the day, those days you grew up and the neighborhood was like a big family. Right. Um, but it, you know, the funny thing was I was playing ball hockey. I'd get ripped because, you know, my aunt would say, you know, time for a piano lesson and I get pulled out of the hockey game, um, <laughs> or the ball hockey game. So, you know, I did both. Um, but like I said, I, I, I did enjoy, uh, music and I did enjoy creating music. So, um, that's what I did. And I, even in high school, I, I, I was in the studio. There was a satellite, uh, the studio called Satellite Sound. Oh man, you're, you're bringing all the memories back. Satellite Sound, yeah. Sault Ste. Marie. And I, I used to like save my money up and I'd go in there. I think it was like the first time I was in there, I was 14 cutting, cutting a demo. And, uh, I mean, you know, I look back on these things. They're, they're terrible. Right? <laughs> uh, but the process and, you know, yeah, getting your buddies to come jam with you and play, uh, it was fun. It was exciting. And so, I mean, I, I think I did about 10, 10 tracks there. And, uh, you know, I really, really, that was sort of the opening of the door, you know, further to, to, you know, go the route that I did. Right. I wonder, you know, I wonder if is satellite sounds still around. Do you know? No, I think Bob, I think his name is, um, Bob McLeod owned it. Right. And I think he moved to Sudbury if I, if I'm correct. Cause mm. I, I did chat with him through email a few years back and asked him just out of, you know, the long chance that some of these reel to reels were around because, you know, I had a whole, like I said, I had about 10 tracks and it'd be kind of funny to hear some of this stuff I did back as a kid, right? That's incredible. It's incredible. Again, another incredible memory. And, and just the, the, the music businesses that you're throwing out there from Sault Ste. Marie days. Um, listen, we, I, I mentioned that, you know, you had like six on the, six on the billboard. Of the six, can, can you say that you have a favorite one? Uh, I wouldn't say, you know, I, I think at the end of the day, anybody has kids, um, <laughs> you know, it's it's like, what's your favorite, which kid's your favorite now? I, I mean, you know, I, I, they're all special. They all have right. meaning. They all have. So there's no, there's no favorite per se. Um, obviously, I listen with a different set of ears than, you know, the fan or other people. So, yeah, there's sometimes I wish I would have did this a little different or... But, you know, it's it's sort of like a photograph and it captures a time. It captures, you know, the feelings, the performance and and just much like a photograph. It's it is what it is. And you can't sort of go back and um, change it. So, right. you know, yeah, I, I, I'm just I'm proud of the catalog. Uh, but, you know, moving forward, I'm always trying to reach uh, a new a new height, a, a higher benchmark with you know, with the writing, with the performance, with the vocals. Um, so yeah, you're always, the benchmark just keeps moving higher. Um, and, you know, and it sometimes gets really hard to, to reach because, you know, if you have a top 25 hit on billboard, that's, that's a pretty tall order for the next track. Right. Um, but yeah, essentially I, I'm just proud of the catalog and, you know, no real favorites at this point. So I'm foreshadowing when I say thanks for painting the picture for us, because I'm going to get to pictures in a, in a little bit. Um, with all that you've done and 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 uh, all the different talent around you, um, is there someone in the music industry that you compare yourself to, or that alternatively has influenced your music style that that you'd uh, 
that you can identify with? Um, I don't. I don't know that I compare myself to anybody because I think. I think you know. The thing that separates me is it's me, and and I have you know I've been told by enough people that you have a very dis- distinct, unique voice. Um, you know, some of my favorite singers are like people with very unique voices, like you know Daryl Hall and Huey Lewis, and um, you know just very distinct. You hear mm-hmm. hear them, and you know who it is, right? It's so you know as far as comparing, no, I don't really compare. Um, you know, obviously, I use templates of things that I like, um, like Breath of Life. I, I had, you know, been really into the 1975, and so when Greg and I start working on that track and discussing production s- style and elements, I said, you know, oh, I'd really dig if we try and let's try and do something like this 1975 band. Um, so you know, I'll use things that I like uh, and try and you know, integrate that into things that I do production-wise or sound-wise. Um, and, yeah, essentially that's kind of where that sits, right? So, again, thanks for – you're giving us the, the, the inside scoops and the, and the tidbits here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to press you a little bit more if I can. In support of your, your fan base, new or old, um, is there anything your fans might be interested in knowing about you or, or maybe something that they don't know about you? Um, well, I, I mean, you know, I, I think we touched on it a little earlier that, you know, my intention has never been to come out and try and be famous. I I don't even, I I don't feel comfortable with that, that whole, you know, I don't feel comfortable with that whole, um, optic, if you will. Uh, I think people are all equal, regardless of who you are or how, you know, influential you are. You're still a human. I think we all are equal. I think some people have gifts, you know, uh, that differ. Well, everybody has gifts. They're just different. Um, so essentially, you know, I, I think the brand that, you know, I, I've, I've had people say, well, you should do more of this or do more of that. And I said, listen, you know, I'm as an independent artist, you know, I'm enough to take care of with writing and recording and, you know, doing mm. a lot of the stuff on my own. So, um, you know, or with Harry or, or Greg or whoever it is, but, you know, there's not this big team um, of major label behind everything. So you have to pick and choose where you spend your time and energy. Right. Um, so for me, it's, it's essentially the music is what's important first and foremost and always music. And so, I, you know, to answer that question directly, uh, just that, you know, I'm a regular guy and that's kind of what I want people to get out of it. It's, you know, I'm not trying to be pretentious or, um, you know, I don't think I'm better than anybody. I don't think, in fact, anybody is. Um, and at the end of the day, yeah, we're just, uh, we're all equal. It's, it's your, it's your modesty. It's your modesty, Franklin. Um, look at, so I've mentioned Sault Ste. Marie a couple of times. You were born and raised in Sault Ste. Marie. Ontario, Canada, um, but your music has really taken you around the world. Um, I've noticed that you've been posting some photographs from some of your travels on Instagram, uh, which, by the way, I they're, they're, some of those photos are just breathtaking and, and they're quite amazing, and, and you seem to have uh, extended your artistic talent beyond music. Um, what got you into photography, and is that something that you've integrated into your music or, or vice versa? 
Um, I, I just, I, I think, I think my DNA is wired to be creative in pretty much anything I do. Um, so I think photography just sort of evolved. I like writing, um, you know, I, I, I like creating, uh, whether it be music or taking pictures as a form of, of creativity. Um, so, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know if this counts, but I remember my, my mom bought me a Polaroid when I was like seven. And funny enough, my friend Joe Russo from Sault Ste. Marie, uh, you know, it's one of those old ones when you would take the picture, it'd come out right away. And I remember going over to his house and then get mad because his mom would want me to take pictures. <laughs> <laughs> and then I waste some of my, my, my film, like, cause they, uh, you have to, you'd only get 10. Right. And, and, you know, but my point is I was taking pictures when I was six years old, believe it or not, with my own camera. Um, and, you know, obviously, uh, with the way society is and Instagram and all of this stuff, you know, more people are, you know, through technology capturing moments now, uh, much more than say when I was growing up. Yeah. Um, I, I just see things and, you know, I, I go out in photography groups and I meet other photographers and. I have friends that are photographers, and so, you know, I when I'm walking, I'll see something, and it, it just became a natural thing just to want to take pictures, and, you know, and I sort of, like, balance exercise with photography, and I, I figure, you know, I'm out walking and getting some exercise. Um, it sort of complements, you know, the fact that I love taking photography, so it, it's sort of like a dual um a dual objective in, in that I'm getting exercise doing something I like. Right. So, and as far as integrating into the music, yeah, well, I, I sometimes I'm, the album covers are photos that I've oh. taken. So, yeah, I guess uh, that way it is integrated. So, they, by the way, those those Polaroid Instacams, are, they made a comeback. And they're, no, I'm serious. They've made a comeback. And, and this past Christmas, it was, it's really hard to, to get one of those. And, um, it's really interesting watching kids get excited for these instant cameras all over again. And I, I'm thinking back to, to my childhood going, yeah, like I remember like these things were transitioning out. We were, we were getting into better cameras. And, and for whatever reason now, um, they're transitioning back in. So it's the same as vinyl, right? Right. Yeah. Right. What What was What was here has come back around, I suppose. Um, interesting insights. If 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 anybody who's listening hasn't checked out the pictures on Instagram, I'll have the link to that as well as several other links for Franklin. But um, you really need to check out this photography. There's some just amazing, amazing portraits and, and pictures that that you've done there. Um, now, as I'm talking about you you know, going around the world taking pictures. You've, you've lived in Sault Ste. Marie, in Richmond Hill, I think Toronto, Los Angeles, Stouffville. Um, I think you've, Calgary. you've Calgary, like Vancouver. It's incredible. Like you've, you've been to, a, you've, you've lived in so many places. Um, you know, looking back, is there, is there a favorite that, is there a favorite place that you've lived or is there a place that you call home? All right. Now, before Franklin answers that, we're going to take a quick break and hear from one of our podcast friends. So let's do that and then come back to find out where Franklin calls home. Recipes at My Table is a work of family, love of food, and sharing of stories. The stories keep the memories alive and make every day a party in my kitchen. 
Join me for the sharing of traditional Italian recipes and so much more. Visit me at www.recipesatmytable.com. All right, welcome back. And now we're going to go back to our chat with uh, six-time billboard artist Franklin McKay. And he's about to tell us where he considers home with respect to all the places that he's lived. You know, looking back, is there... Is there a favorite that is there a favorite place that you've lived or is there a place that you call home? Um, well, I, I will qualify this. I think I have I have gypsy blood. Um, <laughs> and, no, really. I, I mean, I, I like I like adventure. I like moving around. I like meeting new people, experiencing new things. Um, so, you know, in saying that, um, I, I Sault Ste. Marie is obviously home as far as my childhood where I was born uh, formative years adolescence you know even into my teens or late teens um, you know still always have fond memories of Sault Ste. Marie just because that's where I grew up and mm-hmm. made a lot of lifelong friends there really really good people um, you know and and, it, and every time I go back it you know it's emotional because mm-hmm. I'll reflect on the street I grew up on or you know remember times with you know my friends or my mom or whoever whoever it may be and so you know I would say that the first half of my life definitely Sault Ste. Marie is is home um you know and and even living uh in various places the second half of my life you know if you were to ask me today I'd still have to say is the home is Toronto um and just because I spent a good half of my other half of my life uh, living in Toronto as well. So um, I think those two, but, you know, I, I miss Calgary. Calgary was, uh, you know, a, a, an amazing city. Um, Vancouver is an amazing city. Ottawa is an amazing city, you know, and it, it's almost like going to, you know, just to use a food reference, but it's almost like going to this amazing buffet and there's all these exquisite, amazing dishes and somebody asks you, like, which one do you like the best? Well, <laughs> I kind of like them all, <laughs> you know. So I mean, yeah, I, I, I just say like the Sioux is always going to be, you know, home as far as you know the first half of my life, and you know, uh, Toronto is, is home for the second half. At you know, just just based based on the amount of time I spent in both, right? You know, you you named off a lot of hockey towns there in Canada. Are you are you particular? Uh... Are you a particular hockey fan of any one team? Or? Oh, I better. You know what? If I, I used to be my whole life, and then I got frustrated, and I learned this. Hockey is almost like politics and religion. It's better just not to say <laughs> But you, I, I, you have a collection of hockey jerseys, I would imagine, right? I do. Yeah, I, do. I kind of figured you would. Including Paul DiPietro's. Right, because number 15. you guys are childhood friends, right? <laughs> Yeah, we actually had a little store together up in the Sioux, the Petro Sports, if you remember that. Oh, yeah, yeah. That was on, uh, was it, nor- not Northern, was it Northern? Yeah, Northern Avenue. Northern yeah. Avenue, right. Wow, yeah, ever, ever neat. The whole gang, uh, there was Todd and Dickie and Paul, and anyways, that, that was a good time, too. Yeah, that, that was, was a fun, that yeah. was a nice store. You guys had a lot of, you had a lot of really nice stuff in there. I remember the, one of the things I remember, the really nice football helmets. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Paul, Paul used to get... Uh, well, because he was playing with Montreal, so he could get all these cool, like Patrick Waugh game used jerseys Amazing. and sticks, and yeah, it was fun. It was fun. Those were those were good times for sure. So, 
Sault Ste. Marie, we, we've said that name a lot. It's a it, Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario. It's a relatively small northern Ontario community. It borders the state of Michigan uh, with the United States. Um, you know, thinking back and growing up there in, in the Sioux, was was becoming this, was, was becoming a, a billboarding musician, your childhood dream. Um, how did you become Franklin McKay billboarding artist? And, and was it harder because you came from a small community to become that? I don't, I don't think it was, uh, I, I mean, I had visions of, I mean, like every other kid, my first goal was as a young kid growing up, even into early high school was I wanted to play in the NHL. Um, Oh. You know, but then, but then you, you, you know, play against guys like Paul and, you know, um, Chris Simon is a friend that I grew up with as well. And I mean, you know, you see these guys that just at a different level and you realize, okay, well, you know, it's, it's a lot harder to make the NHL. So I think a lot of kids in Sault Ste. Marie growing up is that's probably their dream too. Um, but I did like music and I, I, yeah, I did have visions of, you know, pursuing a music career um and as far as like growing up in the Sioux I I think in many ways growing up in the Sioux was a blessing in you know smaller communities because I mean I have friends that I've been best you know close friends with um literally so I'm 51 and you know uh I've been friends with them for like 46 years and you know and not just one like several several like many actually and so i think the benefit of a small community is you you get to grow up with you know people and and you know you're surrounded by you know sort of it's not that you're naive but you're not exposed to all the big city you know culture and stuff and so the thought of like becoming you know uh, a famous hockey player, musician, you kind of don't know any better that you're not going to achieve it. So you just believe it and work hard at it. And, uh, you know, so yeah, I, I don't think it was more difficult, but I think there was definitely, um, you know, blessings for growing up in a smaller community that, you know, big city people sometimes don't get, right? Right. It sounds like you got a little bit of love for Sault Ste. Marie there, Franklin. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, uh, I still keep in touch with, with, you know, grade school and high school teachers that I had, um, you know, family, friends, uh, neighbors that, you know, that I had, um, and obviously the friends that I grew up with. Like I said, I've, I've been friends with a lot of these yeah. people for, you know, 45 years. And, you know, and, and that's just something that I think when you live in bigger cities, it's you know, the, the time is, you know, everybody's hustle bustle and, you know, neighborhoods, uh, are, are huge. And, you know, so you don't get that, that closely, you know, close knit, uh, relationship building that you do in a smaller community like the Sioux. So let's talk about love for a second. You've, it, we're in 2022. Incredible. Right. I don't know if we said happy new year, happy new year. Yeah. Happy new year. Right. Um, we should have said that right off the bat. Um, but you've got a new song, and it's called Don't Forget Love. Um, what can we expect to hear from this new song this month? Well, this song is, um, 
I'm being released to adult contemporary Christian and pop radio. Uh, it's being released around the world. Um, and this was a co-write with Greg Fitzgerald, who you mentioned uh, off the top. Uh, Greg's a super, super talented writer. Um, you know, he's he's very uh, pop-oriented, and, you know, he's had success with, like, Kylie Minogue and Madonna and stuff, you know, big, yeah. big records. Um, and, you know, he, he him and I just gel really well together. Um, I cut the vocal for this track, actually, in Toronto at Pete Lesperance's studio. Uh, and for those that don't know, Pete, his, he's the guitar player, one of the... In my opinion, one of the best guitar players uh, in Canada for sure. Um, so he's a guitar player for Harem Scarum, Harry's band, and Pete's band. Um, but he's also like a really good producer and has his own studio. So I went and cut the vocal at his place, and you know he was. And I've cut a bunch with Pete as well, uh, not just this one. And he's like, "Wow, you're in the pocket. You, you know, you seem to have this. You seem to found have found your voice here, like." Um, so, you know, I'm not sure what, what transpired, but for whatever reason, this track vocally, um, I just seemed to be able to have the full control over what I wanted to do vocally. Um, and I think, you know, when you hear it, you'll get it. It's, it's, it's probably, in my opinion, one of my best vocal performances, uh, to date. And, you know, this is the 26th, uh, track that I've done. Um, and, you know, we're getting close to like three complete albums. So, I mean, you know, maybe it's an evolution. Uh, maybe it just finally clicked. Uh, I'm not sure exactly why, but uh, I'm very proud of this track. Um, and I think, you know, the message uh, is very powerful and also transcends a lot of scenarios and a lot of people can relate to it. Um, yeah, like don't forget love. That's kind of at the end of the day all we have we have hmm. people and you know you take you take fancy cars and you know um money and jobs and careers and i mean at the end of the day all all of that is is nice and but really what matters at the end of the day is people and love right so it, it, it's kind of interesting because everything that we've talked about right up until this question sort of has culminated to that to those three words don't forget love you you've talked about um all sorts of different kinds of love that you've had for uh, people and, and places and experiences and processes throughout your entire life almost. So um, I, I'm just thinking, you know, maybe maybe that's it. Maybe that's where you found the pocket because this is bringing all that together. And and when you say the pocket, just just for folks listening, um, you know, what's a, what's another thing for the pocket? Is that like the sweet spot or the 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 you've achieved a, a level or you've hit a level that you haven't hit before? Or? Yeah, I, I, I think in, in, in relation to what I'm talking about for my vocals is just that, you know, I, I went in and, you know, when I was singing the song, uh, it was it was just, you know, there was a lot of good good performance. There was, there was nice emotion that you could feel through through the, the performance. There was the tone was very strong. You know, it wasn't pitchy, it wasn't flat, it wasn't sharp. It was, you know, it was just that it was almost like I I had been singing this thing, you know, perfectly. As perfect mm -hmm. as I could could sing it. And um 
you know, and that's where, where when you're recording records, they talk about, you know, if you watch some of these classic albums like Elton John's Yellow Brick Road or Fleetwood Mac, Rumors, right. you know, they always talk about there's magic in the room and certain things work or happen. Uh, it's sort of an intangible, but, you know, I, I guess the magic for me was this vocal. I felt it, I, and, and so did Pete. Um, and so... You know, uh, I, I think the listeners, when they hear it and they pay a little more attention to the, you know, the inflections and the vocal performance, they'll probably pick up that something's uh, maybe a little different, right? A little. Well, I'm. They're going to get to hear it on on our show here today, um, but it's also going to be be available uh, on some major platforms, right? Like Spotify and Apple Music and things like that. Yeah, it, yeah. it'll be available everywhere. Awesome. And, uh, I'm, it's going. It's going out to radio, uh, like I said, around the world via Play MPE as well. So, uh, any music directors listening, be sure to check it out. Well, I I thought your vocals, they were really powerful on the Christmas song that you had released, Christmas Ain't the Same. So if it's if it's a an extension of that, um, that's I'm gonna be pumped to listen to this today. So uh, uh, we'll we'll get to that. So thanks for for sharing that. Um, you know, just uh, on the heels of of you're educating us a little bit with the terminology and, and, um, and, you know, the equipment and things like that. Um, in my opening, I said to you, I introduced you and I said, Hey, you know, you're an independent artist. I don't know if everyone listening uh, knows what that means. And, and you've said it a few times. Hey, you know, I've, I've gone through this process. It's sometimes different. I'm an independent artist. Uh, it takes this path or that path. Can you touch upon, um, you know, what that means in terms of maybe the, the, the major labels versus the indie model, how it applies to you and, and your music? Well, I, I think with independent, it's, it's, it is what it is. Um, you're independent. And, you know, in my situation, what it means is that, you know, I have to sort of do most of the, you know, things that a major label would do, which means, you know, I have to get it out to radio. I have to make you know, create the release, um, you know, get the artwork to spec, um, you know, the credits, you know, obviously write, uh, find pro a producer, w which I stick with, you know, Harry and Greg for the most part, um, um, mostly everything I do. But, you know, so, I mean, I do have a team in the sense where all the amazing players that play on my stuff and producers as well. But, you know, there's, there's, you know, a lot that's left, to do individually where you don't have a, a, a team after the music where, you know, you have to register songs with performing rights organizations. You have to encode them. You have to, you know, um, register them with Nielsen SoundScan. You have to, you know, have make sure they have the correct ISRCs if you do a change. Um, you know, there's a whole bunch of legal, you know, if you're doing licensing deals, there's contracts. I mean, you know, they're legal deals. So hmm. essentially you wear the hat of like a marketing person, you wear the hat of a lawyer, you wear the hat of a, uh, you know, an artist, a writer, um, graphic designer, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So there, there's a lot more that goes on behind the scenes than somebody would know if they weren't doing it. So, mm -hmm. you know, that's all. I mean, it's, it's it's just it's it's a lot of work essentially yeah no and and thanks because i i don't know that everybody realizes when when you hear that well independent artist what are the things that kind of go on uh for the individual and and uh you know you've given us some some insight into that um 
which I appreciate, and, and I'm sure they do too. Now, you've, you've been making music for, for several years. You've mentioned your age a couple of times. Uh, I don't know if you meant to do that, but uh, we don't always get guests who want to mention their age. But, but um, And I've said, hey, look, you've worked with all these whole pro- uh, high-profile industry personalities. Um, I mentioned at the beginning, you were a judge for the Juno Awards, um, and, and you've traveled the world. Franklin, in all those experiences, is there a wow moment? That, that you've had in your musical journey that that um, you can think back on yeah I I, I, I there's there's two that I think are kind of neat and you know so uh, as a kid obviously growing up I listened to a lot of music and you know the stuff that I listened to I I liked Chicago I liked you know um, Speedwagon and you know uh, journey you know soft rock and but I listened to the radio a lot uh, and really loved, you know, hits. I, I listened to hits. Um, but essentially, so the first time I worked with Bill um, Champlin, uh, we, we did a co- some co-writing and he sang uh, some backing vocals and some some licks on one of my tracks that I wrote with Mark and Harry, uh, Without Your Love. And anyways, we were chilling at my place um, after the studio one night or one evening and Bill sits down at my, my piano in, in my living room and starts playing, you know, hard habit to break <laughs> and singing it. And it's just Bill and I, and, uh, and you know, this is the guy that I grew up listening to his records, right? right. Chicago and him and Peter Cetera were, you yeah. know, the guys on all those records that I loved. And, uh, and here he is singing, the actual song in my living room to me, <laughs> you know, just him and I. And so that was a wow moment. And, and then I think, I think when we were sitting there, he got a call and, uh, you know, I don't remember exactly if it was Richard Marks or Huey Lewis, but somebody called him and he's like, Hey, you know, and it was just like, wow, is this guy connected? <laughs> and so, yeah, that, that was kind of cool. Um, you know, and then hearing these things, getting to work with guys like Greg and Harry and Mark, and I mean, yeah, I mean, they've been doing this a long, long time, a lot of experience, and uh, so you know, and then hearing this, the, your ideas come together, and I mean, that's a wow factor too when they're done. I, it's just, it's an incredible feeling when you put all that work, and then you hear the final product, and you're just very happy with it. You know, so that that would be a wow moment every song no kidding well. no kidding right um this is uh it's hard to believe this is the third season for the podcast um and and in that time i know that we now have uh people and fans that are listening from school kids with hopes and dreams to those who are retired and are listening while they enjoy this um you know with their cup of coffee maybe um I always ask the guests and, and, and especially um, folks like yourself who've, who've um, you know, had the uh, ability and the opportunity to, to grow and learn and, and get to where you are. What advice would you have for aspiring artists and, and equally for anyone just listening to enjoy the music? Um, what, what advice could you impart on folks, uh, Franklin? Um, that's a tough question. <laughs> but I, I, I think I think essentially I think I think it's 
A, you have to believe in yourself, obviously. I mean, that's that's where it starts. And you have to surround yourself with positive people, for sure. Um, and, and you also have to learn to incorporate a positive spirit into mm. into your life. So, you know, yeah, you miss the bus, okay, but you don't let that turn your day upside down. You you find some, some grace in it somewhere. Uh, and, and essentially, I think having a positive frame of mind and a positive spirit, which, you know, leads to a, a positive energy, um, gets you a lot further and makes you internally happier. And I think that's a big part of success is just being happy and being grateful for whatever it is you have and applying that to your goals and your dreams and being okay if things don't go the way that you want the, them to go all the time because there may be a silver lining that it's it's turning for something better. So essentially I think it's it's you know that that that's the advice I give right. people. Almost like slowing it down, um, you know, react within react within your world, within your space and 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 try to find opportunities as opposed to focusing on things that may not have happened the way that, that you had wanted or thought that they would happen. So um, certainly good, good thoughts to, for folks to digest. And, and I always do that, uh, Franklin, just because like I said, we do have kids who are listening and trying to make life decisions and, and, um, and others who just reflect. So I, I certainly appreciate that insight. Um, I, I can't thank you enough. You, you've given us some additional uh, insights into your music into really your craft, you let us into your world, um, into you. Is there anything that, that you would like to leave us with today as we close this out? Well, just thanks. Thanks for having me on the podcast. And uh, I, hope, I hope you guys enjoy the catalog and the new single, Don't Forget Love. Franklin, um, thank you again so much. Folks, that's Franklin McKay, six-time Billboard artist, a uh, multi-talented Canadian who has a new song, as you heard, called Don't Forget Love. I think you're going to love it. Um, I will have all of Franklin McKay's content links in the podcast notes. Please be sure to check it out. Thanks again, Franklin, and take care. All right, stay tuned because we are going to hear uh, Franklin's new song, Don't Forget Love, a little bit later on in the podcast. But for now, we're going to switch gears. Well, since we're in 2022, often when we get to a new year, everybody likes to have predictions or a look into the year and say, hey, I wonder what's going to happen if or with this particular area or myself or my health or all sorts of those things. And I was reading the 2022 Old Farmer's Almanac, um, and I thought I would just look at three areas that... Um, you know, they've been important to us the last couple of years with COVID-19, and I think they're going to continue to be important to us. Um, but that's uh, food, health, and home. And here's some interesting numbers when it comes to food stats for Canadians. 80% of consumers will pay extra for produce that's locally grown. And I'm just thinking, that, I think that's true. Like there's a, a local farm not far from me. And in the summer, I see lines and lines and lines. And, I, you know, if you check that farm out, 
it is sometimes a little bit more expensive than, um, you know, the grocery store, but it's, you know, the, the sales office is just a few hundred yards away from where they're, um, picking the food as opposed to sometimes, you know, you go to the grocery store and you're picking up vegetables that have, um, you know, been picked off the tree before they're ripe and they've traveled, you know, a week or so to get here and, and, and so forth. So that's, uh, I thought that was kind of a, an interesting tidbit. Um, now here's an interesting number in terms of what will we spend on food annually? And the number that they have is $12,667. That's the amount that a household will spend on food annually. Um, now what's interesting though, is that when we think about the food that we waste, right? The food that we're not eating, that we, that we discard, the value of that is $1,766 per household. So think about that. You're going to spend almost $13,000 on food, but you're going to throw $2,000 away. If you were walking on the street and you saw $2,000 just laying there, just found money, would you pick it up or would you leave it there? So something to think about when you're cooking the amount of people you're cooking for, and the food that you're going to throw away. Um, now, here's another one. 20% of consumers never eat food past its expiration date. I wonder how much of that goes into the $1,766 of, of food waste. Um, and I, I get it. There's different reasons why you don't eat things past their expiration date. But, um, you know, I have yet to see a, you know, a bag of milk that instantly expires on, you know, at 12 a.m. on the day that it says that, you know, it's going to expire. There's usually some leeway. Either way, it's just a matter of taking some time to, um, you know, look at the product and, and say, hey, is it still good or not? Okay, the last tidbit before we move on to health is this. Consumers will balance their desire for plant-based alternatives with actual plants to maximize nutritional benefits and watch their wallets. Now, that sounds fair, given that we know grocery prices, um, you know, have been escalating and portions have become smaller, um, you know, all part of the inflation cycle that we're experiencing. Um, but hey, I mean, if you're going to watch your wallet, then look at that $2,000 that you might uh, also waste in food. So there's some predictions for 2022 when it comes to uh, food. Now, how about health? And hey, we've been on a we've been on a health watch for the last couple of years, like probably never before, when it comes to COVID nineteen and and other things. But what are we talking about here? Well, they say that there's a, a buzzword that they identify called ecotherapy, which is a treatment that will promote well being through outdoor activity. Well, I think through all the lockdowns and and all the other um, changes that we've seen the last few years. I think that's been something that's already happening, uh, but I can't see why it can't continue to happen, uh, whether we have COVID or not. We've learned some valuable health lessons um, during that time. Now, we're transitioning from food, and but they also say this as far as uh, health goes. The food as medicine approach will topple our um, reliance on pharmaceuticals. Doctor and farmer collaborations will have us trading pills for produce. 
interesting uh, possible trend. I mean, if folks are looking to grow uh, more of their own uh, produce and food, um, you know, perhaps that uh, it lends itself to um, looking at what what those food and nutrients might offer us. And I know there's different programs out there, um, you know, that you can leverage that uh, will help with that as well. Now, um, one of the um, things that's happened, I think, during COVID is uh, folks have looked at their sleep patterns and, um, you know, you, through stress and worry and all these other um, elements that we're facing in the environment that we haven't faced before, um, sleep has been one of the challenges. And so one of the predictions here is that um, more practice will go into the circadian eating, which is eat in daylight and stop after dark. And that's supposed to help with your sleep patterns. Also, when it comes to sleep, um, donning sleepwear that adjusts its temperature. Imagine that, right? Because there's some nights, hey, you get, you know, even though it's winter or, or summer, hot, cold, you know, and, and you're like, oh, these pajamas are too hot or, oh, I need pajamas and feel cold, right? Imagine if you're wearing uh, sleepwear that adjusts its temperature. Um, the other thing is the use of kill switches to shut off all lights and Wi-Fi in a room. That's supposed to uh, apparently increase. Um, and use lights that automatically go from bright blue light in daytime to warmer hues at night to boost melatonin levels. Now, here's some numbers. 51% of consumers are very or extremely likely to tell their doctors when they disagree with them, as far as health goes. And 50% of people who use fitness and health tracking devices share the data with their doctor. Now, that's interesting. If you look down, if you're wearing a, one of those smart watches, it's got you know uh, heart information, your heart rate, your sleep patterns, um, you know, and not just that, but you can really leverage now some amazing reports um, to help, um, you know, your doctor and give them information that maybe both of you never had before. Now, here's something that's in development. This is kind of interesting. Technology to reprogram cells to speed up healing. You know, like uh, something better than than polysporin, I guess. But but uh, that'll be interesting to see what that is. And um, the last thing that uh, I'm going to mention on, from this section is doctors uh, will be writing prescriptions uh, for produce redeemable at farmer's markets. I don't know what insurance company is going to um, support that, but it is certainly an interesting notion that a doctor would write a prescription for produce that would be redeemable at a farmer's market. I mean, hey, you can write the prescription and you can go pick it up, I guess, but I don't know about coverage. So it's important to check out your uh, plan before you um, rely on that too much. All right. So we've talked about food and we've talked a little bit about health now around the house. And we have been spending a lot of time around the house. So what are some of the trends that we can uh, look at for uh, 2022? Well, they say in the book here that we're going to be seeking sleek, minimal rooms with statement furnishings. Hmm. So uh, reducing clutter. Um, we've probably accumulated a lot of stuff as we kind of, um, you know, hang out in our homes and, and try to use it in, in those different ways. But it says that we're spacing out. We're utilizing uh, also all of our available spaces in our homes. 
Um, we're looking at rooms and seeing how adaptable they are, how ergonomic and how private. Those are all important things that have uh, come out in the last bit and will continue to come out in 2022, or so we believe. Um, and looking at things like underutilized uh, walk-in closets, those are being going to be converted to workout spaces or offices or even guest rooms. I'm trying to think, you have to have a pretty big walk-in closet to convert it to a guest room. Uh, otherwise, you're going to feel a little bit like Harry Potter under the stairs, maybe. Um, anyways, uh, also greenhouses are becoming dining rooms. Um, now that's interesting. I mean, hey, we're dealing with outdoor dining, and if you look at a greenhouse, and you know, if you can convert that, um, I'm sure in in some fall or spring uh, moments that, you know, with the right temperature in there, that could be kind of a neat experience. Um, tables with adjustable heights are used as desks or dining tables. That's the other trend that's uh, going on. Now, as far as home office options, um, garden sheds are being refitted as a, as a home office, um, leased pods on lawns, um, and freestanding buildings uh, with French doors and covered porches. Um, that's what folks are, are going to be looking for, continue looking for. And that makes sense. I mean, we just talked about, um, you know, working remotely versus working in an office and, and trying to find some spaces for yourself from a mental health perspective. Uh, colors for homes. Kitchens uh, going with green marble countertops and bright blue cabinets. Um now, I, hey, I teach their own. Uh, maybe that's just a 2022 trend. I don't know. Uh, I couldn't see myself in a green and blue kitchen, but it, it, it could possibly become a trend. Um, bedrooms, uh, cobalt blues, beige with black accents. Um, again, sounds a little different, you know, having a, a darker uh, bedroom, uh, those darker bedroom colors. Uh, bathrooms, pale blues and golden yellows. And living rooms, teals and light grays. Um, well, that's a colorful home if you go with all those different colors. Um, and again, hey, everybody's got their own taste, but we'll see if those um, come to fruition in 2022, or maybe that's something that interests you as you're planning to do some of that. In demand, multifunction, flexible rooms, and electric car docking stations. Now, I don't. the, the last one's going to be interesting because... We know, um, you know, in some places there's electric car programs and you can utilize that. Um, but uh, still, in other places, you know, the regular old gas cars are still the, the dominant uh, car. So if, if, we, if we start to see a, a change in that, yeah, electric car docking stations could certainly uh, make a surge in the, in the home. Um, in development, uh, windows of transparent wood, which is safer during extreme winds, uh, being non-shattering and more efficient than glass. And hey, that's an interesting one too, given some of the weather patterns that we've seen around the world and um, how important uh, that might be. Um, you know, I'm going to throw in one last thing because to do all these things, we talked about food, we talked about health, um, and we've talked about homes, um, but money, right? Where where do we see money um, in 2022? Um Here's an interesting thing. We know real estate has um, accelerated and, and homes are, are selling at record highs. Could you imagine if you have a pet, that the pet becomes part of the home contract? And that's what people are talking about, apparently, that realtors are selling houses 
with pets included. So, I mean, hey, is your home uh, move-in ready? It is, and and there's Rover, <laughs> right, waiting for you, um, you know, instant instant pet as you do that. And financial therapists are helping with both money problems and emotions. Um, I never heard of a financial therapist, but given the, the conditions of the economy, I can see where perhaps, um, you know, some people might uh, benefit from that. Now, 10% of people have a credit card that they keep secret from their partner. Hmm. 70% of employees say that they got a raise after asking for one. So if that's in your money future for 2022, um, you should probably feel that out and figure out the best way to, to do that. Um, 35% of parents admit to trying to keep up with the Joneses. 35%. And that means they're just trying to, hey, if, if uh, you know, if, if the neighbor you know, did some sort of home modification, then, then they might go along and, and do that. And that's certainly helping to drive, um, you know, some, some money, uh, through different avenues, let's say, uh, now $8 and 75 cents is the average amount of pocket money parents have been giving to kids each week. That's interesting, especially, you know, the past little while, because I'm not sure where, they're going to use that $8.75. I think when I you know, give the kids money, they it goes into their piggy banks um, because they haven't really had an opportunity to um, to spend it. Well, anyways, look, those are some uh, interesting uh, tidbits in terms of some of the trends and patterns that we either have been experiencing or that uh, are looking to continue in 2022. Um, maybe what I'll do, because I really enjoyed this, um, you know, in the future um, episodes, maybe I'll get into some weather patterns and other kind of interesting things. Um, I just really enjoy uh, going through the Farmer's Almanac and kind of getting these little bits of information, and I thought it'd be fun to share with you. So there you go. Um, let me know if you've painted your kitchen teal or if you've changed your plans in terms of um, food waste or growing your own vegetables and, um, you know, where you're heading with all that stuff. It's always fun to hear from you. All right, it's time for a little music break here on the Go On With Guido podcast. As you know, I always like to play some tunes, and we're still going to get to Franklin McKay with his new song, Don't Forget Love. But before we get there, we're going to listen to a song from someone I've referred to in past episodes as a Canadian songbird, and that is Kaylee Watts. This is a song from her Smoke Lake album called The Hunt. <laughs> And ooh, ooh, 
as they hunt where the gathers they hustle with her song, The Hunt, from her album, Smoke Lake. I'm going to have all of her links in the podcast notes. What a wonderful tone to her voice. I just absolutely love it. I hope you do too. So check her out. All right, for our next segment, we're going to go a little bit politics, a little bit Southern Ontario, and a little bit personal with the acting mayor of Richmond Hill, Joe DePaula. Listen in to our chat. I'd like to welcome to the show, Richmond Hill, Ontario, Acting Mayor Joe DePaula. We're going to cover a wide range of topics today with the Acting Mayor as we get to know a little bit more about him, his plans for the future, and get some insights on life and politics. Now, before I do that, I want to set some context up for folks who are listening in on Richmond Hill. It's a community in the greater Toronto area, north of Toronto, uh, in southern Ontario, Canada, Uh, The population of the community is projected to be about 231,400 for uh, 2021. When I look at some census data from 2016, the land area was about 101 square kilometers. We had about 60% of the the dwellings uh, being single detached homes. Um, you know, and again, you look at this and you go, the average uh, cost of a home back then, about a million, a million dollars, might be a little bit more now. Um, you know, from an education perspective, you got over 50% of the populations with a, a bachelor degree. Um, you've got occupations focused in sales and service, business, finance, administration, management. And we had a, a, an average household income around $116,000. Now, that's just to set up some context. Mayor Joe, thank you for your patience as I just, you know, gave people some insight into the community. Thank you for being here with us today. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Guido. And I'm you know, really thrilled to be on, on your podcast. Uh, you know, a great opportunity to, to, to talk to some people about Richmond Hill. That, that's my favorite subject. Yeah, I, listen, I'm super excited to have you. And I think from, um, you know, from the minute that uh, you knocked on my door, you were, you were doing some campaign and you knocked on the door and you said, hey, I'm, I'm Joe. And we started talking and I, you know, in the interest of the community, because I, I do some community talking, I, I said, hey, you want to you wanna try and do a podcast with me? And, and we've been sort of, you know, going back and forth, trying to land on that so that we could have this conversation today. <laughs> right. I'm glad it's worked yeah. out, uh, Guido. I, you know, I, I offered to, to jump on here and, 
I, I'm glad I did, and it was it was really nice to meet you. As I, I meet so many fabulous people across Richmond Hill, it's important to me. I try to get to every single door. We have sixty thousand households, and uh, you know it's great to meet someone who's doing something exciting like this. Yeah, and you know what? I remember uh, the other thing I, you you mentioned. Hey, you're going door to door, and um, we're in the middle of a pandemic, as everybody knows. You're wearing your mask. You're you look like you were prepared. You had your whole distancing thing going on. So I can't imagine it's an, it's an easy thing to do under normal circumstances, let alone uh, during, uh, you know, what, what we're dealing with, the pandemic. But we're going to get to that. We're going to get to that. I, listen, before before we get into some of the career in politics, um, I did. I want to talk about Richmond Hill for a moment because I moved here in 2008. And around that time, the population was, I, I think, around about 170,000 people. And it reminded me a lot of my hometown community, which is Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario, which is legal, a legal drive from here to there is about eight hours. Um, now, I, and I say it reminded me, the population up there was about seventy-five to 80,000 uh, people. So it was double the community, but it, it had a lot of green space. It was easy to get around in traffic. I had that sort of 15 to 20 minute ride anywhere I wanted to go in the community. Um, and there was really, there's a, a, it was generally a good sense of a helpful community. Um, and that can really be hard to find in some of the larger communities as as it grows. Now, I understand you've been here a lot longer than me. Um, I want to ask, have you, are you really a lifelong resident of Richmond Hill, born and raised? And if that's true, can I say this? Were you were you like a, a young Joe running around the streets of the hill or what? Oh, well, I was, Guido. <laughs> I definitely, definitely uh, running around the streets as, as a young Joe, not born, but definitely raised. I, I I was five years old when my parents uh, moved oh, wow. to Richmond Hill, and at that time it was twenty-five thousand people. So uh, you, you can imagine how much it's it's changed uh, over forty years. Uh, we, we've we've seen a lot of growth. We're we're just on the northern border of Toronto itself. So uh, that that mega city of Toronto is growing into Richmond Hill, and you know we're transitioning from a very quiet suburban town. Yes. Into uh, you know a major urban center. Yeah, and I've 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 I guess I've been here for that part of that growth. But five years old. Do you, so do you actually remember the move to Richmond Hill at five? Uh, uh, I do. I, I I remember first moving and thinking where 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 are they taking us? You know, <laughs> moving way up north. It seemed at the time uh, to be a, a long way away from the city of Toronto. Uh, but you know, I we had a very very quiet community where you could yeah. play hockey in the street safely uh you know with the nets and rarely had to move the nets for with a car coming by but you know i i played played hockey in town from six to 16 uh you know baseball sports growing up elementary school high school i i'm a richmond hiller you're a richmond i was gonna ask because I, I i had read that you those were some interests of yours some football and and some hockey and and you know what i listen i live I live on a street and I can still play ball hockey with my kids on the street and it still feels like a safe community, a bigger community, but, but still a safe community. So it's good to, well, it's good if, to hear if, that. If I remember, Guido, sorry to interrupt you, yeah. you're, you're in the northern part of Richmond Hill, right? Uh, well, so, so let me tell you, this, it's interesting that you asked that. Yes, I'm, I'm, in the, I'm in the northern part of Richmond Hill. When we first came here and they gave us on an envelope, I, and I can't remember, I got this basket or something from, from the community and it had my address. Welcome wagon. Yes, the welcome. Thank you. That, that's what it was. I got a welcome wagon thing, and, and it it had my address on it, and it said Upper Richmond Hill. And I I remember saying to my wife, I said, I don't I don't 
Upper Richmond Hill, it sounds very uppery. Like, like can't we just be Richmond Hill? And I said, well, maybe it's because of the logo. I wasn't cluing in that we were on that cusp of the northern border, almost with King City, right? Well, well, that's it. I mean, yeah. we're we we're a community, and, and more and more a cohesive whole, and we we have we have lots in common. And, and Richmond Hill, we stand alone as as a unique community. We have our own unique character, yeah. but but we have the best of both worlds. Like, if you're in the southern part of of Richmond Hill, you you've got a subway station coming in five years, and if you're you're in the northern part, we we've, we've got thousands of acres of protected land and and five lakes, uh, you know, to enjoy. So lots of green space and. Uh, and lots of open areas so truly the best of both worlds yeah i mean that you know what the kettle lakes and the and the trails and the paths they were uh a welcome uh addition to our activities as a family and we've taken advantage of that and i see it every every all year round actually i was gonna say every spring and summer but it's really all year round because with the pandemic we did some hiking um you know in the winter and and folks are out and they're really enjoying that part of uh, uh that part of the community mayor joe now well, that's it. That's, you know, I'm on the Toronto Region of Conservation Authority, looking after those walkways and paths and trails and and, and those kettle lakes. And uh, my a big thrust of what I'm doing is is trying to improve and enhance those those natural spaces because uh, people in Richmond Hill enjoy it. Yeah, and it's it's difficult with the pressures uh, for for development that are coming upon our little town. Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask you uh, about that a little bit later. I don't want to lose before we move on. I don't want to lose the moment of of the fact that, um, you know, uh, your youth in Richmond Hill, because I think it's important. Um, you know, when you when you spend time with someone or in a place, you, you build some roots and you build some foundations, and and you sort of get a sense for, um, you know, the growth of the community. So if you, if I ask you, you know, thinking back to your childhood days and growing up in the community, is this what you thought or where you thought the community would be when you look back and then do a flash forward? And I don't mean maybe five-year-old Joe, but at some point you started to, you know, think about the community like we all do, right? Like, hey, this is my town. This is, you know, what's it going to be like in, in 10 and 15 if you look back and you look forward, because you spent so much time here, what is it? Is this what it was going to be to you in your mind? Well, uh, absolutely not. As, as a child and even <laughs> as a teenager, I, I could have never fathomed what Richmond Hill would have become. Uh, we we actually went camping at, at Young and Highway Seven, uh, <laughs> the future site of the subway. There, there's now thirty thirty five story buildings where yeah. it, it was once a forest that that we regularly pitched a tent and. And would have a campfire, and, and seeing there's absolutely nothing on the east side of Young Street. Uh, you know, the the entire half of Richmond Hill uh, did, did, was was nothing but uh, forest and, and uh, agricultural. You know, it, it was farms, farmland. So certainly, as a child, n- never would have thought it would it would look like it does today. But uh, as I as I got older, uh, you know, I took political science at, at Carleton for two years, came back to York and finished, uh, uh, you know, close to home. So really, those two years I went to Ottawa were the only only time I was away from Richmond Hill. But I did get a, a political bug, and I, I I started to to look and think about the community and what it's going to be, and how can I play a bit of a role in 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 determining the future. So it's interesting that that you brought us to that 
sort of juncture because I, I wanted to ask you, um, and I, I keep going back and forth here a little bit. You were first elected in 1997. You've served four terms on Richmond Hill City Council. Um, and I was going to say to you, well, when did you first decide that you wanted to get into the municipal uh, political route? And and did you have, you know, you, you alluded to a little bit, but did you have that sort of aha moment where you said, hey, you know what, I'm inspired to fix or change something or advance something in the community? Okay, well, uh, the aha moment, I, I guess, boy, I, I'd have to set it up a little first. Uh, yeah, go ahead. I, I, I was 26 years old when I was first elected. So I was the youngest elected official at any level uh, in a city over 100,000 um, at the time. Uh, I, since my record's been broken, there's been people elected as young as 19, actually. Mm -hmm. But um, at that time, as a 26-year-old, it was unheard of that uh, that not only would I run, but I was I was successful the, the first time I, I ran. But uh, you know, I, I I was surely out of university. I did get some business experience, but uh, what what precipitated me running for council in Richmond Hill was really I was I was disgruntled about party politics. Mm. And, you know, as a youth and in my early 20s, I spent a lot of time volunteering and and learning uh, both in the Liberal Party and the PC Party. And, and I understood that, uh, that that two or three party system really limits what people are able to say. Uh, all those representatives don't really have free speech. The party it tells them what to say. They, they're, they're a mouthpiece for a platform. And then, then I met Bill Bell, who was the mayor of Richmond Hill at the time. And, and he said, you know, we don't have any parties and I can say whatever I want. I, you know, I, I truly represent the people here in Richmond Hill. And, you know, if the people here don't like something, I can change it. That, that, that's what's inspired me. That's what encouraged me to, to, to get involved at the municipal level and, and to run for council and to run unencumbered from, from a political party. Cause right. I wasn't, I wasn't finding that I was fitting in with any, any of the parties I wanted to serve the, the the community here and and the people here and and what their needs are and what their concerns are I wanted to to truly represent them uh, without being you know in, inhibited by uh, promoting a party line. That uh, that makes complete sense and and I you know I think I have to appreciate your transparency on that. I I'm curious um, at 26 years old and being at the time like you said one of the the youngest. Uh, elected um, officials, how was that met? Like, was there was that met any differently with the rest of of council at the time, or or was it? Uh, hey, yeah, welcome. Like some fresh ideas. Let's roll, right? Well, I it, it, uh, I definitely had to prove myself. Yeah. I certainly had to um, spend a little more hours at time than others. I think just just to just to to rest everyone's mind at ease that that I you know I am capable I, I do know what I'm doing and yeah. I, you know I, I'm researched I, I think I had to work a little harder than, than others to to get accepted and, and not to be uh, you know judged just 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 on my age and, you know it's amazing how we get judged sometimes just, yeah just uh, you know our surface qualities and yeah so I, I, had, I had overcome that a little bit you know it's interesting you said it's it's uh, we get judged on our age and we get judged on our age when we're younger and then we get judged on our age when we're older right <laughs> So, um, but so on the heels of that, like you're, you're, uh, 
you're preempting me a little bit because because it's almost like I, I I'm gonna ask you something here where you know and this is an important question I think that is gonna help our listeners um especially our youth because I always look to educate uh you know um, our our younger listeners um, sometimes they're career planning or you know just just life planning and learning and things like that um I, I want to ask about overcoming challenges and being able to to fail forward in the in the four terms, and I and you said, hey, I'm, I was the youngest elected official at 26 years old. But in the four terms that you have served, um, what would you say in that time period is your biggest challenge in the community? How did you overcome that challenge? And I think the third part of that, which I think is important to the youth too, is did it yield your greatest accomplishment? And it's okay if it didn't, but did it yield your greatest accomplishment? So, what was your biggest challenge in the community? How did you overcome it? And did it yield your greatest accomplishment? Okay, before we get that answer from Mayor Joe, we're going to take a quick break and hear from one of the friends of our podcast, Chaser's Juice. Hi, I'm Richard Chase, introducing Chaser's Fresh Juice, a local business in Toronto. We've been in business for over 20 years, initially supporting our local Toronto area and now servicing all of Canada. Chaser provides fresh organic juices, ingredients, including citrus zests, dehydrated garnishes, and fresh citrus peels to enhance any cocktail or recipe you can think of. We have successfully supplied restaurants, distilleries, crop breweries, and bakeries across the country. Reach out to orders at chasersjuice.com for any questions you may have. We are a customized fresh juice company, and I'm sure we can help you. Thank you. All right, now let's get back to our chat with the acting mayor of Richmond Hill, Ontario, Mayor Joe. And so what was your biggest challenge in the community? How did you overcome it? And did it yield your greatest accomplishment? Guido, I guess I'd have to point to uh, the, the, the one election that, that I, I wasn't successful. You know, but back in 2010, um, I took a jump up from my ward council position uh, to, to represent the, the entire city of Richmond Hill on your region council. Right. So... Um, you know, I, I took a I took a jump up, and I I want I, I I wanted to stretch myself and and uh, go go right across the city, and and um, I you know I took it really hard. Uh, so I I finished second in in that in that race, and and there's there's no prize for second place in politics. <laughs> uh, I, I had four years on the sidelines, and I'll tell you, I think that worked out to be. One of the best things for me, uh, it, it gave me f- four years in the private sector. It gave me a better perspective. Having been so young when I was first elected, I think if I was strictly a career politician and didn't have the opportunity to spend some time uh, both in the private sector and as a non-elected official, uh, to, to be a more rounded, uh, more balanced person and, and to, you know, to, to watch counsel from the outside looking in, uh, I think. I, you know, I, I think if if you have twenty or thirty years continuously in yeah. public office, you you lose perspective. So you know, I, I think I think I, uh, you know, I I at that time was was devastated. No one likes to lose or mm-hmm. or, or, or fall short of their goals, but uh, in, in retrospect, I, I can say that that's really helped to make me a, a more well-rounded person. Right. So you use that time. To sort of reflect and 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 you know self-reflect, learn, um, you know what are some of the things that I could do differently, and and that resulted in some of your more recent accomplishments coming back 
and and now you're an acting you're the acting mayor right uh, exactly yeah. yeah i came back in 2018 and 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 uh garnered that position that I had tried to get in 2010 and and uh, things things have fallen into place for me and you know two years into the term completely unexpected uh our, our mayor took a, right. a medical leave of absence and asked me to take over so you know that, that's why I'm the acting mayor of Richmond Hill it wasn't even on my radar but uh because I was the budget chair and and handling um you know a bulk of a bulk of the leadership duties uh, on council I, I was uh I was the one that he chose to, to to carry on while he he dealt with some medical issues, and and then it turned out ultimately that he he did officially retire, and right. that's what prompted this this by election. That's why Richmond Hill is the only uh, the only city in Ontario that's 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 having an election for mayor, and I, I'm the only mayor that gets to run twice in 2022. Right. <laughs> another perhaps another first, uh, Mayor Mayor Joe. Uh, certainly, uh, it sounds like, uh, um, you know, I think the, the, the term that's coined these days is resiliency. And I think that's what you've uh, alluded to in your journey um, when it comes to the, the challenge and, and overcoming that challenge. Um, so just just so everyone is clear, like, and, and we've said it a few times, I've been addressing you as acting mayor. Um, but you've had multiple roles. You've, you've been, uh, you know, the deputy mayor, you've been a regional councillor, you've been budget chair. Now you're the acting mayor. Um, and and I, I got a feeling that at some point you were juggling some of those things at the same time or in transition. H- how do you juggle those multiple hats? And and what are some of the differences between them? Because, you know, what, as a as a resident of, of, of the town, yeah, there's my council, there's my mayor. They get together, they talk, they make some decisions, you know, and, and we, you know, we we benefit or, or live with whatever some of those decisions, but well, there's some, there's stuff that goes behind, behind the scenes. And you mentioned earlier, Hey, I had to put my head down. I had to really make sure I was reading my stuff and I was up to speed, but across all those different uh, positions that I just mentioned, what are some of the differences and, and how do you provide, you know, in, in, in those, positions, how do you provide service to the community wearing those different hats? Well, it's, it's, it's all, it's all, it's all about, you know, understanding it, it, it really leads back to, my, my extensive uh, amount of, of canvassing and, and door-to-door visits and and the consultation I do right across Richmond Hill with so many people. So I have an understanding of what the needs are and what the concerns are. And then I, I just feel fortunate that I get to play so many different roles so that I'm, I, I'm able to, um, you know, to, to fill those needs, to, 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 to address those concerns from different angles. But it, it does, it does get, uh, almost almost contradictory purposes when like i'm the chair of planning up at york region uh council as well york region is at 1.2 million people uh it, it's nine different municipalities and and there are some times where the best interest of richmond hill uh conflicts a little bit with what is in the best interest of york region as a whole so you you try to keep those those different scopes and perspective in mind and and i i definitely uh look at it like i you know richmond hill is my family and my family comes first right but i'm, I'm going to be good to our neighbors and our neighboring municipalities and and we're, we're all we're all dealing with, with the same crises and situations uh, you know across the gta it, it there's 17 municipalities that that get along really well and in one it's it, one functioning urban area, really, that, that 
the GTA is, is 17 different cities that have all grown into each other and, and uh, function well as, as one city. Right. A nice, so, a, a nice handoff from city to city, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But everyone has to protect their own interest. And my job is to, is to protect the interests of, of the residents of Richmond Hill. Are there, uh, are there stressful moments, Mary Jo? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. Uh, you know, at the New York Region Council, there's 19 different elected officials from, from those nine different cities. And, uh, lots of competing interests. And, and, and on council, uh, we have nine members of Richmond Hill Council. There's the mayor, two regional, and six, six local ward councillors. So, you know, neighborhood to, to neighborhood, yeah. uh, there's, there's com- competing interests for limited investment dollars. And uh, the mm-hmm. nine of us have to get along. And as the mayor, my job is to, is to, to really make sure that we're functioning as a cohesive working group, uh, that the nine members of council are, you know, are all satisfied in, in, in what's being delivered for their areas yeah. and, and that they all have an equal opportunity to participate on our various committees and, and uh, uh, other city functions. So it, 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 that, that's the nice way of saying yes. Sometimes I do have to, to referee a little and, uh, <laughs> and, and, and break up some, some disputes that are going on amongst the other counselors. Yeah. Yeah, well, and that's where, you know, I'm saying, hey, I, I get it. You know, you wear different hats. You have to be really aware, uh, it sounds like, of what hat you're wearing and, and um, you know, show respect and fairness, to not just to people, but to the communities as well. Uh, and I think the important part there is that you have that awareness and, and that, you know, uh, you know it's part of, of what is going to make uh, things function for, for you and for, for the others and for the community. Um now, Mayor Joel, think just thinking about the community, and and you know, you talked about the upcoming election, and and uh, you know, having to run twice in in the same year. Um, but I want to I mentioned earlier about the pandemic. Considering that we're twenty four months into a pandemic, for all intent and purpose, you're a pandemic mayor. I don't know if that if anyone's ever said that to you, but you're a pandemic mayor. Um, and and this pandemic has challenged health. It's challenged education. It's challenged, uh, certainly challenged business businesses, right? Um, so when I think about that, and, and what I want to ask is, what is your vision for Richmond Hill? How will you lead the community to that vision, given not just the regular challenges that we would face as a, as a community under normal circumstances, but during a pandemic and the fallout from this pandemic? And and the areas that I'm thinking about, and you've mentioned a couple, um, we need a balance of green space. We're rich in green space in Richmond Hill. Um, there's certainly a lot of growth. Like I, I talked about earlier, you know, the population in, in 2021, there's a projection that by 20, 2031, we're going to be almost at 243,000 people. Um, that's, a, that's a far, far cry, you know, difference from when you moved here and you were five years old, right? But there's that. Um, there's taxes, you know, because people are going to say, hey, like you know, we've been on hard times. Uh, I don't want my taxes to increase. But at the same time, we know that our services um, have taken a hit during the pandemic. So you're going in and, and like there's all these sort of I'm looking at them as challenges. Maybe you might look at them as an opportunity because you've got a different lens on them. But let me throw that back over to you. Right. Like we, we got these challenges. What's your vision for the community moving forward? Okay, well, it's been an enormous challenge. There's no question. I mean, the word unprecedented gets thrown around. 
but but it truly is uh, the, the times that we're dealing with there's, there's nothing you can look back on in history and say well when when uh when there's a, a lockdown for a long period of time here's how people in government react uh, no there's there's no nothing to look back and guide us on because we We've never been in this situation before. I, I think you coined a good term there. I hadn't heard that before. Maybe you could patent it, but I am a pandemic mayor. <laughs> and and I was from the very outset. Uh, the, the mayor was actually in Florida at the time uh, the emergency broke in, in early 2020 there uh, in February. So I was in the acting mayor role at that time. And even if he did come back, he had to go into quarantine for 14 days. So, so I, I was the one deciding... Uh, you know, what, what do we do? Do we shut down City Hall? It, like, it's, it, you can't imagine how unfathomable that is mm. when, when someone first, uh, you know, poses that as, as an option, the fact that maybe we should just completely shut down City Hall and send everyone home and, and try to cope somehow remotely. Uh, at, you know, at the time, it's so daunting. And, and uh, it, it, it was... Just not, nothing short of, of miraculous how well our, in our case, 1,400 uh, public service employees were able to uh, remain in their homes and still provide that service. We, we never really missed a beat in terms of uh, being able to, to continue to provide the city services that people depend on. Right. Uh, we never missed a garbage collection. The, the, you know the snow got shoveled it was it was still still winter at the time uh, you know the, all, all of these different things happened and city hall was closed uh, it was it was closed for six months uh, originally and you know we, we've had uh, over the last two years uh, we, we only opened up there for about three or four months so we're completely changing the way things are done and and the covid reality has uh, to change so many other things. And you mentioned those green spaces and those, those open spaces never before had it been so important. We have, uh, we have lakes that are completely surrounded by uh, forests and walkways that are completely open to the public. And you would go anytime there'd never be more than five to 10 people because, because people were confined to their homes, they were really seeking out these, these public open spaces uh, to the point where there was 100 or 200 people for the first time ever using our di- our different parks mm. that were that were completely underutilized before. So so and everything has changed. People want those public open spaces. They're more important than ever. Uh, you know, protecting those public spaces are more important. Providing uh, more public spaces in, in the the densely populated urban portions of Richmond Hill is so important. And the we had plans for for a major corporate center and, and plans to build office towers, and now we don't even know if 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 the the reality of you know the corporate headquarters and and these the need for these office towers is even going to ever materialize again. Right? Or are we going to completely change the 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 live work relationship? Yeah, and there's a whole. There's a whole physical and mental health aspect that, that we could get into into that piece of it. But you listen, you said the, the green space has become more important than ever. But I'm looking at, you know, another population go, uh, growth and, and we're looking at almost 22,000 new residents per year. How are you going to balance that? Like, what's the we don't want to lose the green spaces, but 
you know, we're we're sprawling out. Is there a is there a yeah, plan? Well, we, we have a plan, Vision 2040. We, we know that we're going to grow to 300,000 uh, by by uh, 2050. Uh, that that's going to happen. That's the reality. So we're going to we're going to have almost 80,000 more people coming to Richmond Hill in the next 25 years. Huh. And um, you know where are those where are those people are going to are going to go and uh, you know in order to protect those green spaces, it's going to mean high density. We, we've got proposals for 70 and 80 story towers above the, the the new subway station that that's coming to Richmond Hill. Oh wow! Uh, we are we're at a point. In, here in Richmond Hill, being the end of the young subway station, um, where there are five modes of public transportation intersecting at the same point. Hmm. And, and nowhere else in North America does that happen. We, we have a 407 corridor that, that we're going to have a bus, uh, bus only dedicated rapid transit way to get, uh, to Trump Pearson Airport in 17 minutes from here. And, uh, you know, public transit to the, to the east end of Toronto, an east-west route intersecting with that young subway right at the point where the GO train it, it, it also intersects the, the young subway. And then coupled with our, our York Region Transit and the, and the new Viva service where we have a dedicated bus lane down the centre of Young Street, uh, it, this is, we are transforming from a suburb of towns completely dependent on cars to a transit-oriented city where we're hoping to render the need for a car um, redundant and unnecessary as we have retail uh, first-floor concourses and and you know uh, underground parking and and um, you know high-rise developments where people can live and and with with uh, you know offices and, and new buildings we, we've just located uh uh, Amazon in Richmond Hill, the fourth largest company in the world, has chose this because they understand uh, what what a what a what a hub uh, the, the new Richmond Hill corporate center is going to be. So, uh, you know, we're going to compete with 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 downtown Toronto. Only only Union Station itself um, in in the heart of Toronto is better serviced by public transit uh, compared to what's planned for Richmond Hill. So, it's. It's extensive planning. It's exciting. We're, we're just uh, geographically situated so ideally, uh, and Young Street is always the the, the main the main artery right. of the of the Greater Toronto Area. You know, it's such a fabulous international city, and um, you know the the growth along that main artery has reached our, our former little town, and and we are we are now going to, going to be the center of it all. Uh, like I I truly envision Richmond Hill as the centerpiece of, of the GTA. It's interesting that 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 motto, um, when I was living up in Sault Ste. Marie, there was a mall there, the Station Mall, and their motto was the center of it all. You made, you made me think of that. But but I was thinking that. I was like, hey, I guess the place to be is going to be Richmond Hill if you want to get to anywhere else. It sounds that way. But it sounds like you've also got some balance there where you're saying, yeah, we're going to have this look and feel like, you know, maybe our our, our neighbors to the south of us but we're going to maintain a whole bunch of green space so that you could still go out and do the trails, enjoy the kettle lakes. So we're not going to we're not going to lose that. And it sounds like part of the plan is in how the design of the arch, like the architecture of the buildings, is going to take place and the planning as far as that goes. Is my am I hearing that right? That, that, that's right. Yeah. That's right. Um, there's there's lots of urban centers, 
but uh, if, if if we're able to do this right, uh, you know, we're gonna we're going to maintain the the best of both worlds. That in this city, you're going to have uh, the, the all of the benefits of a major downtown, high density urban area, walkable community, plus uh, you know, ten minutes to the other end of of the city where. Uh, you, you've got thousands of acres of open yeah. space and, the, and those, those, those kettle lakes and, and uh, you know, all, the, all the trails and walkways and, and uh, you know, the, the, the almost country to enjoy. And, you know, I want to, uh, Mary Jo, I want to I level set this because quite often we ask our politicians and we say, hey, you know, what's the plan? Give me your plan. And, and we hear these wonderful things and then, you know, something, you know, goes left or something goes right. I mean, we can't, we're, we're looking into a crystal ball sometimes. Yes, we've got planning, but nobody would have envisioned COVID-19 and, and the things that we've, you know, and, and some positive things have come out of it. You talked about remote remote work and, and how that's going to change some of the landscape of, of some of the office buildings and other things like that. Um, but we're talking out to 2040 here and, and a lot can happen between now and then. But I think the important thing here is what I'm hearing. There's a plan for green space. There's a plan for uh, economic growth. There's a plan to for the taxes and and uh, finding new efficient ways to maintain our services, um, you know if it and trying to balance it all out over the next few years with all the other changes that are happening. So um, it sounds exciting. I, I'm I'm hoping that people it, who it is really exciting. Yeah, but but it, it's not pie in the sky. It, it is it is large in scope and it yeah. you know we have the, the the view to 20 years from now, but it, it started now. Right. Uh, we've we've already gone out to tender on on the detailed design for that subway. They're going to start digging uh, next year. You know, they're, they're uh, going to start tunneling, and we've we've seen examples of the subway coming to your region already. So, uh, you know, it starts next year. It's really in the next five to ten years that this that this transformation is is going to take place, and a, a lot of it has already happened. If you look at Richmond Hill today versus even right. just ten fifteen years ago. Oh yeah yeah it's, uh, yeah. It uh, you know, we oh, we are in the middle of that change, and it, it's not a it's not a projected uh, you know picture of what might happen. Uh, this is you know in motion. We are in the center of it all, and we yeah. are we are experiencing it happening and and planning for it. But like you said, uh, no one no one predicted COVID. No. Uh, no, no, no one knows what the future holds. So we have to be flexible. I, I'm someone who. Uh, you know, if you can't avoid it, embrace it. I, I'm not um, not terrified of change because I, I think people are resilient. I think our systems are resilient, and and that we can we can adapt to anything that comes our way. Yeah. Uh, you know, and that that's been reinforced by seeing how well this community has fared through COVID. And I think you know globally, uh, it's amazing how we've responded. And I I. I don't think any of us could have predicted two years ago that there would be a, a, a global pandemic that we would all adjust to as well as as we have, and and how how you know compliant the population has been to truly putting that health concern first. Yeah, I, I think you nailed it. I think it's all it's been all about adaptability, and I think it'll continue to be about adaptability. Um, Mayor Joe, let's uh, we're, we're coming we're we're coming towards the finish line in our chat here, but before that happens. Um, the election, you're competing against, if I can, if I can switch gears here a little bit, you're competing against eight other candidates. That's a lot of choice for the citizens of Richmond Hill. Um, you know, thank you because today, you know, you've talked about your roots, you've talked about your path, you talked about your vision. 
Um, but what sets you apart from every other candidate? Like if, if folks are listening in, and, and again, it's not just Richmond, but other, other areas are listening in, right? Um, why should they vote for Joe DePaola? Okay, Guido. Well, I, I won't talk about my opponents, but I'll, I'll definitely say that I am uniquely qualified uh, for, for the role. I, I have been leading a, a lot of what's happening in Richmond Hill as the budget chair, as the chair of our planning, and then the chair of the planning for, for York Region as well. And I've been representing Richmond Hill on the Toronto Region and Conservation Authority, on York Region Transit. I, I've been dealing with uh, uh, the Ontario Big Mayor's Caucus and uh, working working with other mayors on, on resolutions that affect Southern Ontario as a whole. I, I've created those relationships and I've I've worked with, with Metrolinx uh, to get the subway. We, we, we uh, created an entire new alignment for that subway in order to benefit Richmond Hill and, and, and help to um, merge what the province is, is building with that major underground transit infrastructure with our secondary plan and, and, and what, uh, what, we're pl- what we're planning for Richmond Hill. So, you know, I'm, I'm the one member of council who's involved in dealing with all these external agencies. Um, and, and as well, I, I'm the one member of council who was a part of confidential negotiations to, to bring companies like Amazon here and and I'm partnering with a lot of mm-hmm. a lot of other stakeholders and, and you know, pr- private interests and um, pu- public ministries uh, for for the best interest of Richmond Hill. So uh, none of none of my colleagues are at that stage yet where they've had that type of experience. I think it's so important. The role of mayor is so important, and you know, I just in, encourage uh, people to consider that. Uh, you know, uh, like any other job, you, you really it really helps to, to bring experience to, to the table when you're uh, when you when you're you're stepping into a role and you want to hit the ground running. Yeah. And I know I'm ready to do that. Thank you. No, it's important. And you know, I, I'm hearing, hey, like I've got experience. I'm invested. Uh, I've been around. Uh, I've been around here for a long time. Um, you know, I've made connections and, and I've got relationships. And, and I want to. There's no substitute yeah. for that organic experience that uh, we we talked about earlier. Just right. just having uh, lived here so long, grown up here, and and consulted with 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 so many people from you know, you know Highway Seven to Bloomington, right right across the entire city. Yeah, and I want you know I want to thank you because um, I think you when you started to to answer the question, um, just I want to thank you for keeping it positive because it's so easy in these scenarios to to get into sort of negative politics and and i think everybody's kind of you know we're tired of that right so uh it's it's refreshing just to hear hey this is who i am and this is what i bring to the table and 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 really you know take your journey uh by your own path and i think that's important uh for people to uh to hear that um mayor joe i you know i have to thank you i i know you've been you've been busy um you know and and getting the time with you so and i've kept you a lot longer than what i think i initially asked you to to keep you for a few questions so thank you for for doing that but as we bring the chat to conclusion i've asked you a lot of questions i'd like to give you an opportunity for any open comment uh is there anything that you would like to leave us with that you know maybe i didn't ask or or that you just want the community to know by all means i i just want to give you that opportunity Okay. Uh, well, you know, I'll, I'll tell you. At the municipal level, we uh, we shovel the snow, we collect garbage, 
we we provide you know community centers and libraries and those local city services uh, that that are so important. And we we really uh, don't don't end up wading into those social issues. You know, the health regulations come down to us from the province, and you know the the, the federal government discusses those contentious social issues and. Um, you know, we're normally providing a service, but, but I, I really feel, you know, a kinship with people in Richmond Hill. And I, I, I'm really concerned with the, with the balance that needs to be struck. And I'm, I, I'm concerned about the emergency nature of this pandemic, uh, sort of superseding the, 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 the rights and freedoms that we should enjoy as Canadians. And when it, when it comes to, um, uh, you, you're, your your own personal private health, it, it, you know your medical pr- procedures and your your medical standing and whether or not you've been vaccinated is is normally and should be a private matter for you and your doctor, and 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 now governments are sort of reaching a little further into the lives of of individuals that, that I'm comfortable with and and I know there is a there is a segment of people out there in Richmond Hill who. Uh, you know, are, are kind of kind of lost lost faith a little bit in, in governments, and they're wondering, um, you know, if, if governments are overreaching. And I I hear them, uh, and I understand, and and I am very um, very leery of, of overstepping what our rightful function is and uh, protecting people's rights and, and freedoms. And um, you know, I, I just want want your listeners to know that. That uh, I, I'm conscious of the need to to keep that balance. I'm conscious of the need for people to have free speech and to be able to speak up on on, on anything and how they feel that they shouldn't be censored. That, that debate is healthy and and like I like I said earlier, I'm, I'm not uh, a member of a political party and and I can take a controversial stance and not be thrown out of a party. I'm gonna I'm gonna always advocate for the rights of of the, of the people in, in Richmond Hill and. And uh, you know, make make sure that uh, people's people's uh, human rights are put put first and foremost, and and, and that's that, that's never violated. Um, I, I've taken a stance recently on on Bill Twenty One in Quebec, where um, uh, a young lady was was fired as a classroom teacher simply because she wore a hijab. Uh, that that's what uh, right. Bill Bill Twenty One has has allowed mm-hmm. to, to happen in that province, and you know from from over here, for what it's worth, uh, uh, myself and and a number of other mayors have spoken out and said that that's that's unCanadian and it, it, it violates our Charter of Rights and Freedoms. Mm-hmm. That what what makes Canada a great place is that you can celebrate your culture and and wor- worship as you as you see fit and. You, you, that you that you're free from any discrimination for um, your 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 choices and and uh, your your cultural practices. So that that's something that's important to me. So even though we we don't we don't deal with these these social issues in providing city services, I, I, I'm someone who, who who really wants to speak out for injustices and and do what I can in my own small way to 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 make sure that. Uh, people's rights are not tread upon. Yeah, it's a, it's a, you're right. It's a, listen, it's a delicate balance and, and being free of a, of a political party perhaps allows you to, to walk down that center line and, and be able to 
make the adjustments necessary to do those things. So uh, I think you hit on a, on a valuable point. And I actually appreciate that you mentioned uh, Bill 21. Uh, you know, I, I always say we're the podcast that has a little bit of something for everyone. We focus on culture, diversity, inclusion, anti-racism, and a whole bunch of other topics as we uh, strive to educate and, uh, um, you know, help people. So uh, thank you for that last little tidbit that you've given us. And again, Mary thank you for doing this with us. Um, and I certainly wish you the, the best of luck and, and the other candidates the, the best of luck as well. Um, Rich Manola will have a, a decision to make, but thank you for your insights tonight. Well, I really enjoyed it, Guido, and you know, thank you. Uh, it's a great opportunity to just just chat about things in general. All right, and we'll uh, you know stay safe and um, best to you in twenty twenty two. All right, folks, that was Acting Mayor Joe DePaula in Richmond Hill. Voting day is on Monday, January twenty fourth, two thousand and twenty two. Internet voting will start from 10 a.m. on January 18th until 8 p.m. January uh, 24th. In this by-election, the voters of Richmond Hill will elect a mayor. The elected mayor will begin when they are sworn into their office and will serve the rest of the present term, ending on November 14th, 2022. Residents can find out more on the Richmond Hill site that I'll have in the podcast notes. I want to thank Acting Mayor Joe DePaola for spending some time with me to give us some insights and sharing uh, his vision. Now, I do want the audience to know that I did ask some of the other uh, candidates in the past if they wanted to be uh, guests on the podcast, and those opportunities just never materialized. Uh, But the one with uh, Joe did, and that's uh, what you heard today. There's always an open invite to other Richmond Hill uh, candidates or from any other community or level of government, of course. Be happy to have you uh, to have the conversation. Uh, so thank you very much. And let's get to our next segment. An article from guidoparino.com called A Return to Office Prehistoric Flashback. Do you remember the pre-pandemic routine when it came to getting ready to go to the office? It was probably a little bit different depending on how long your commute was to and from the workplace. Either way, it likely involved getting up earlier than perhaps most people wanted so they could get to the office. The routine may have varied, but could include things like Shower, breakfast, help the kids, do the dishes, school drop-off, daycare drop-off, gas in the car, and then get on the road for upwards of a two-hour commute one way. Maybe there would be a stop to grab a coffee in a long drive through line, but not quite as long as the one caused by the arrival of Tim Biebs. This was followed up at the end of the day with a similar routine, perhaps in reverse order, while adding a scramble to get supper ready, deal with homework, clean up, get lunches ready for the next day, tuck the kids in, and check your work phone in case you missed something while you were picking up the kids. Followed up by crashing out on the sofa, watching that favorite show you recorded a week ago that you hadn't quite gotten through yet. Life was busy, but was it busy for the right reasons? The pandemic demonstrated on a global scale that it was worthwhile reconsidering our return on investments from a work-life value perspective. Whether society and leaders translate that into a learning opportunity that changes how and what we do will be determined by the long-term adjustments of possibly misguided agendas that are politically or economically driven. 
If the desire and belief to return to pre-pandemic inefficiency and waste is a marker for perceived success over the pandemic itself, well, then we will have learned little outside the medical science of COVID-19. If, however, the lesson is translated to a modern model that shows real-time extensibility and intuition that supports efficiency, the benefits realized during the pandemic can mature to support better mental and physical health, an improvement for the environment, and an economy that is not dependent on business and people geography. The pandemic helped two important mental health realizations come to the forefront. First, that not everyone benefits or excels from working remotely. Second, that not everyone benefits or excels from working in an office environment. The idea of not being able to interact with another human being in a physically present environment was almost unbearable for some. Equally, there were those that thrived remotely as it relieved travel time, family schedule challenges, and financial burdens, among other pressures, removing barriers that consumed their daily thought and time as they gladly embraced online tools. The lesson learned is that neither model provides a one-size-fits-all approach. Forcing one over the other where there is no operational benefit to an organization won't produce better results, although it may more likely impact mental health. In a pre-pandemic article from Mental Health America titled The Mental Health Benefits of Remote and Flexible Work, it was cited that by offering flexible work options, companies are signaling to their employees that they can and should devote more time to health and wellness. That's likely why 77% of those we surveyed said flexible work options would help them be healthier. If the organization's operational capabilities won't be impacted, and there is almost two years worth of data to support that now, then returning people to an office for the sake of returning people to an office isn't just poor use of data, it's negligent leadership that will impact mental health and the bottom line in the long term it would be just as negligent to ignore those who can't cope at home. The ability to enable these two scenarios can be very delicate while avoiding exclusivity of one over the other. A return to the workplace will also impact the environment, and in fact, it likely already has. As the OECD, Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, reported in May of 2021 that the environmental pressures that are mostly linked to energy use observed a sharp decline in 2020 of 7-8%, followed by a gradual recovery to 2-3% below the pre-COVID baseline projection. This includes emissions of GHGs, the air pollutants nitrogen oxide and sulfur dioxide, and fossil fuel materials use. The world witnessed that reality as smog over big cities lifted. It accelerated the understanding and belief that any of the environmental challenges we face can be overcome if we choose to overcome them. Unnecessarily putting more cars and other transportation on the road and then charging carbon taxes when it can be avoided also seems counterintuitive. For years, there's been conspiracy versus science arguments about the impact of human behavior on the environment as some need to see the microparticles of pollution in the wind materialize in the palm of their hand before they were willing to acknowledge it. And even then, there are some who would believe it is just a magic trick. The pandemic revealed real proof in how the natural environment can recover if there is a willingness to change human habits. 
If you have ever wondered what your carbon footprint is, check out the online calculator at carbonfootprint.com to gain a sense of your contribution. Another fossil argument is that returning people to the office will support the businesses who no longer have the same pre-pandemic traffic. While there is some truth that an increase in the volume of people may result in the increase of business transactions, providing that same volume still wishes to conduct business there, it doesn't mean the same people have to return to the same place. The buildings that hosted people in 6 by 8 foot cubicles can be repurposed, especially during times where housing seems to be both in short supply and out of financial reach for some. The idea that those businesses can only survive if the pre-pandemic residents return is a lazy band-aid reaction that lacks planning, possibly fueled by an underlying resistance to change. Have you ever wondered why the dinosaurs became extinct? Various scientific articles provide a multitude of theories that culminate to environmental change, including, but not limited to, a meteor crashed into the earth, volcanic ash suffocated them, Disease wiped them out, and their food supply was disrupted. Those ultimately come down to one common theme, and that is adaptability. When it comes to returning people to an office space, there are far more reasons to employ adaptability than to fall back into the we-always-did-it-that-way mentality. I must wonder that if the dinosaurs could adapt to the change, perhaps they would have survived. Maybe they did. Because when it comes to some of the theories about returning to an office space, dinosaurs still seem to be walking the earth. This is an opinion article by Guido Prino of the Go On With Guido podcast, the It's Not The Ref exclusive podcast, and sponsored by the Path Radio Mix Online. All right, everybody, welcome to the Go On With Guido podcast. Welcome back to the Four Fans Talk Sports, where everyone here is expressing their opinion as fans, just like you. No network obligations, no sponsor pressures, no product placement, just pure fandomania. Welcome back, Brian and Roland and Clark. Um, Happy New Year, everybody. It's 2022. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Hey, we made it. (laughs) (laughs) Barely. So squeaking, we're squeaking in. (laughs) So there's a lot going on the past few weeks. Um, We don't really know, I guess. I mean, we have an inkling. We don't really know what the sports world is going to look like in the new year, uh, like for the rest of the year. Um, So I wanted to kick things off with some of the things that have been happening and get everybody's take on it a little bit. Everybody good with that? Sounds good. Yeah. Sure. So... There's been a lot of surprises. We're going to start with the NHL. There's been a lot of surprises, I think. But I'm going to give you a choice of four. Who has been the biggest surprise in the NHL so far? Is it A, Leon Dreisaitl, B, Alex Ovechkin, C, Nazem Kadri, or D, Steve Eiserman? Clark. I mean, you'd think I'd go with Eiserman here, but I'm going with Alex Ovechkin. Uh, he's playing like a kid. He's playing better than a kid uh, it, it is I mean, kind of inconceivable to see how well he started this season, and it's a lot of fun to watch. Brian? Uh, for me, I'm going to go with the next leak, Nazem Kadri. Who saw that coming? You know, normally he's in the penalty box and leading the stats in, in stupid moves during the playoffs, but uh, I think at this point he's around fifth or sixth in the uh, – in the scoring race. So he's, he's putting out really good numbers for the avalanche. He seems to be playing a disciplined game 
and maybe he's finally got his act together. But uh, who saw that coming? It's certainly not me. Yeah, definitely two. You know, Ovechkin and Kadri, two definite surprises. How about you, Roland? I'm going to be a little bit of a rebel here. I'm going to go off the board if I can. I looked at those names. And I'm going off the board. You can't go I'm off the board. Pretty, you can't. Yeah, I'm going, I'm going you can't go off the board. Another another ex sleep. I'm picking Freddie Anderson from Car- from Carolina. Sixteen and five, one point nine three goals against average, nine thirty save percentage. He was given up for dead last year by the Leafs and basically discarded. He's having a great season. I think that's you just trying to stick it to the Leafs. You didn't. You you couldn't. You couldn't take Cadre and use Cadre to stick it to them. You're just sticking it to the Leafs. That's it. <laughs> no, my other my other pick was. Uh, was Jack Campbell. <laughs> I, I, yeah, he's having a great season too. Another guy where they're, they're kind of saying... Uh, you so, know, Roley, I, don't think, I don't think they left Anderson for dead. I just think the Leafs figured they had the better goalie in Campbell. Yeah. And so you're not going to carry two, two top goalies. So. <laughs> 1A, 1A. I'm going with that. I don't know. They have, they have Mrazek too, so... All right, he went off the board. I I'm gonna follow the rules, and uh, <laughs> I'm no one. I'm going with Iserman. Like you know what? And you know what's sad about this is Le- we're all ignoring Leon Drysaddle, who's having a fantastic season, like on on a team with Connor McDavid. But I'm gonna go with Iserman because in our one of our last episodes we talked about the greatest captains of all time, and two of the four of us picked Steve Iserman. And this past week, with everything going on with COVID. He had to weigh in and and sort of take a an opposite view of hey let's just everything's fine let's not I mean he didn't say everything's fine but but you know the messaging right he was like oh we I don't know why we the NHL players need to be tested and and all I could think was man I really liked you <laughs> you know I really liked you as a hockey player but that's where it ended for me I kind of said yeah I think that's what it was I liked you as a hockey player so I'm gonna keep liking you as a hockey player. And I'm just gonna ignore you now because you 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 went the Aaron Rodgers route for me a little bit there. I, if I can jump in there, yeah, go I'm ahead. Go say ahead. that and like, I, you you phrase you phrase the question is what's the biggest surprise? And I don't think we should really be surprised that anyone involved in the NHL has that opinion, especially in management. They want to get the games in. They want to get the money made. They want to do and. Whatever the consequences are, who cares? Let's just keep moving forward and keep making money. And it is an unfortunate, <laughs> unfortunate take to have. But I can't say I'm really surprised. I, I guess Clark, I hold the, I held these guys in a little bit higher esteem than what they've proven. Oh, to that's me. your fault. It is. I, I'll take the blame. <laughs> yeah. I'll take the blame. Yeah. No, but I think, I think in it, you know, in I, I'm sitting there going. You know what? They were they were hockey heroes. I think they need to stay hockey heroes, and that's it. Like I, when they get into these other areas, it just gets yeah. a little funky. So, well, all right. When the, when the wings when the wings hired Eiserman, my biggest fear was what happens when he is no longer like the hockey god that he is in Detroit. What happens when things don't work? He said something that we don't like, but and well. Here, here we go. Well, I don't know. I don't know if, if that's going to do it because Michigan. What are the what are the vaccine rates in in Michigan, Clark? Oh yeah, I mean in Michigan, most people don't care. 
Right. His comments, I mean, that they reflect a whole lot of what we've got here. We've got Michigan is at 53 percent or something like that. There you go. Or sorry, let me flip it the other way. 47 percent without a single shot. There you go. So he's got at least half of half the state on his side. So. All right. player too. Right. For Tuesday. Yep. There you go. All Just right. One. Sticking guys, sticking with the NHL, they went into a pause. Right? They went into a pause for the, the, the holiday season, sort of, I guess. Um, but here's the question. Should they shut it down? Should they shut down the season completely or should they try to play it out? Clark, shut it down or play it out? Oh, so I want to say shut it down, but honestly, I mean, I don't know what a, what a difference it would make. It's not just on the ice in the locker rooms that this is being transmitted. It's in communities. And I mean, so you shut down the games. You're not mm-hmm. shutting down I mean, the grocery stores. You're not shutting down anything else. It's still going to be transmitted. And I think that's where what Eiserman was saying, what a lot of people are saying about maybe we should just test less. I don't really agree with it, but I can see the point of it's going to happen anyway. Now that said, I'm playing devil's advocate, given a little bit of benefit of the doubt there, totally disagree with it because there's no reason to have the extra risks out there. there it, these players might not get it at home, so there's no reason to have them in close quarters out there. There's no reason to have the fans in close quarters. I mean, to continue using the Red Wings as an example, they're not even requiring masks, let alone vaccinations or anything like that in the arena. I was there for the home opener, and it was probably 10% or less with masks. I So would shutting the league down stop those possible super spur events maybe and that would be a good thing but there's a lot of stuff going on that it's not just the nhl and we're not going to shut everything down again how about you brian yeah hey listen i'm i'm on the i'm glad that they paused it but i'm not i'm not advocating for a full shutdown but i am advocating for going back to some pretty strict measures if we think about what happened last year with the way they played and and uh, had a lot of strict measures in place. It was great for hockey fans to at least who most most of us are stuck in our houses and not able to do everything to have some hockey and some entertainment to watch. But that's going to be something the players are going to have to step up to and and live up to what some of those measures are. And and I can't see a guy like you know if they do that, I can't see a guy like Bertuzzi even playing because the players are going to want to be really protected and and. Uh, you know, fan base is going to have to be extremely limited. To, to Clark's point, like seeing packs, packed uh, arenas with with fans with no masks, that's it, it, <clears throat> maybe maybe a little bit understandable a month or two ago before yeah. this uh, this Omicron's reared its ugly head. But now, uh, definitely not. So I'd be advocating to try and make it work, bring back some of the stricter measures, whether it's playing in a bubble or or what have you. But um, if they shut it right down, we're all gonna we're all gonna lose. So, so I'm hearing I'm hearing two play outs with some modifications. How about you, Roland? Yeah, I'm I'm with that too. They're not gonna shut it down. They're gonna keep going forward. Uh, probably the best thing to do was yeah, put put extra things in there. 
for Montreal, you know what? Uh, the other night they played, they were, I think they were the first team that played without any, uh, the crowd back. And I think they do well in it. They won the game. Well, that's <laughs> yeah, a... That's a that's a that's another discussion. That's another discussion. <laughs> Not touching that one. Yeah. When the fans aren't there, so yeah, it's it's going to go forward. They're going to they're just going to play it through. Yeah, I I'm a you know what I I'm a big part of shut it down because I just don't like what's going on, and I think that um, you know we can't have it we can't have it both ways, but. Um, you know, maybe if they make some modifications and and relook at the bubble, um, maybe. But I don't know how much that's going to hurt the game either in terms of their finances and and the cap because there is some reliance on the gate and the concessions and those things haven't been happening, right? So uh, I don't know what that does to contracts and to to, to caps because um, you know does it, is it going to drive the cap downward? And there's some big contracts out there. There's a there's a six point one million dollar contract that Kotkaniemi is going to have to get uh you know possibly uh offered next year so i don't know how the hurricanes are going to sustain that kind of cost for a 12 point player over 27 or 8 games um anyways i thought i'd throw that in there but um i'm more i'm more shut it down if you keep it open i say keep it open but you they have to take greater accountability and you know they can't be like some of the governments and just say oh you know react afterwards right after everything's sort of gone downhill all right, we'll see how that plays out to the end of the year and and the and the Stanley Cup run, and of course, what players come back um, over the cap as well. Um, the third topic: Should the Montreal <laughs> Canadiens trade Carey Price? He's been out. He he dealt with some personal issues. He's come back. He's been on the ice. Canadians, I think, are fighting for last place with the uh, Coyotes. Um, they're a decimated team. Half the team is. They're AHL. They've got more injuries than I think anybody in the entire league. Uh, it's been misfortune after misfortune for them after that great run last year. Do they trade Carey Price? Clark. Oh. Yeah. I, I think if they, I mean, if they could trade him and get anything back, they should trade him, but they won't be able to. So keep him. It's uh, it, they're stuck with him. The contract's too big. He's been out for too long at this point. I mean, obviously he can come back and play lights out and change things. Uh, but um, you missed the first half of the season and you got question marks. Question marks with that contract mean you're not getting anything for him. It's not worth it to trade him if you're not getting anything for him. So might as well keep him. Brian. I'd say keep him, even not playing, and, and even the fact that he's a goalie, he's probably got more points than half the players on the team right now. Uh, no, I'm just, I'm just rubbing it into my, my I know. Montreal yeah. uh, Canadians that's buddies right. here. That's okay. I say keep him. He is, uh, he's, uh, he's the, 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 the sort of the legend uh, of of the Canadians, and I think he's a guy that deserves to to stick with the team and retire with the team. The Habs have been great at doing that with, you know, being loyal to their superstars and and uh, and keeping them in the organization. And I think if they were to to lose a yeah, game, just ask Patrick Watt. That would be a big low. Well, that was a whole different thing, but or or Andre or Andre Markov. But <laughs> but I think I I would keep them I, as the organization. I think yeah. it's in their best interest, longer term, all things considered, to keep them in the organization. How about you, Roland? Uh, you know, I think. 
If I was in that position, I would try to trade him if I could. If there was another team out there that that would be willing to take him, but that's going to be hard because of his contract, right? So I think that's the hindrance right there. Montreal would probably have to eat a lot of money if they even wanted to move him. And then what would they actually get back? Now with this new, you know, Jeff Gordon there, totally different guy from outside the organization. Who knows what he wants to do, right? You know, he, he could he could change. He could, could want radical change there in Montreal. And it might happen. It might happen if there's a willing team out there. But it, it's gonna it would be hard. I I would say that they should trade him, um, but not right now. But I think they should trade him. And I I I think that I, it made me wonder when they left him unprotected <clears throat> during the expansion, if that was a bit of a mutual. Um, discussion to to leave him unprotected because it was time for him to go. And then when the when he took that personal leave, and I think about that, and I think maybe he's really maybe he was just mentally drained and done in Montreal, and maybe it was the right move for him, right? Um, and it just didn't happen. Um, but if he could get a few games under his belt, and I'm the Habs at his age and where the team is going. And the depth that they have at goal, I trade them. And I, I gotta believe there's there's teams out there that are gonna take they're gonna take a, a carry price. Even even an injured carry price they're gonna take. Yeah, I don't think his value <clears throat> is, is what it was. Like he's not he's not a top goalie value right now. I think based on his performance in the playoffs and, and even with like we we're gonna we talked about the Olympics a little bit, they're they're they were willing to give him a shot and look at him because He's yeah. got he's got the pedigree, right? He's got the pedigree. It's going to follow him. You're going to give him that. Look, if there's if there's guys in the league that are fourth line players who get that second and third and, and fourth chance, first round picks. Who who's what GM's not going to? If you're a GM and you can and you can, land a, a, can you can usually give those guys a second, third, fourth chance on a league minimum contract. So, are you taking on a ten million dollar goalie to give him a second well, chance? I, that's why I say Clark, maybe not right now, like not at this moment while he's still recovering. Mm-hmm. But I think he should be on the trajectory for that team. It's time to move on. It's time to move on from Carey Price, and I know it's not part of the target. I would even say it's time to move on from Brendan Gallagher. Um, it's time to move on from you know Lekkinen. Like these guys need to, they need to turn the page now. Like they're they're in, in, in a rebuild. But I hear, I hear they're shopping, or they're going to be shopping possibly um, some of the other folks on their teams. And who knows? By the time, by the time we air this, who knows what could happen? Jake Allen hey, might be on the. What move, do you think so. they make Habs trying to get Mark Andre Fleury if he becomes available? You know local what? Local boy comes home. <laughs> well, Jake Allen was a local boy who came home too, but. I, I those guys those those types of contracts and those types of players for the Habs, it's it's not the right time anymore. It's not the team. Like they they're not they're in a rebuild and a retool that I think is going to take a few years now. So what is what you know? I want Mark. I like Mark Andre Ferry. I want I want him to go win somewhere. I want Carey Price to go win somewhere. <laughs> Even though I like the Canadians, I want them to go win somewhere. And I don't think that's in Montreal the next couple of seasons. I guess we'll have to wait and see though. Um, yeah. We, you know, I started mentioning the Olympics. I want to set this up a little bit because the question is going to be, should Canada, United States boycott the Olympics? Simple yes or no. But, but here's, here's some of the stuff. 
The Council on Foreign Nations. China is facing intense criticism for its human rights record. Several countries, including the U.S., have accused China of committing genocide against um, just several nations, minorities, um, allegations that, that you know, China is uh, denying. Rights groups have also called to attention, uh, you know, the Beijing's uh, repression in Tibet, its crackdown on freedoms, etc. There's been a coalition of nearly uh, 200 rights groups uh, argues that participating in the Beijing Olympics would be uh, turning a blind eye to these abuses. Um, we've also got uh, a boycott after uh, Peng Shuaoi, the Chinese uh, tennis star, accused a former government official of uh, sexual assault. And then she kind of disappeared. And then in December, she kind of came back and said, oh, I, I don't, there were no, I made no such accusations. Everything's fine. So there's a lot going on in, in China. Um, so there's been a diplomatic boycott of several countries, I think of, of which Canada and the United States is, but do they really care if diplomats don't go? Should Canada and the United States boycott the Olympics? Clark. And they never should have been awarded in the first place. Uh, that, that's really what it, once, once they were, once they were awarded to Beijing, everyone was going to go. And it shouldn't it shouldn't have been there in the first place. I mean, yeah, okay, I don't know that a boycott actually makes a difference at this point. Brian, how about you? Yeah, I, I I I'd agree with you, Clark. That I'm not sure it's going to make a difference. And the other thing you got to look at it is we start to, here's where we start to blend politics with sports again. Mm -hmm. And for the athlete that that has their once in a four year or one one window opportunity to compete against the best of the world. We're asking them to make the sacrifice for something political. So I think from the diplomatic one, the, the, the politicians have said from a political standpoint, we're not going and they're making that point. But asking the athletes to do the same is, is a bit more of, a, of, a, of a, a bigger ask, especially when they only have one opportunity. Some of them only have one opportunity and they're going to lose it. So. I would think it would probably be an individual athlete's choice. And there might be some that have very strong feelings about the stuff that say, okay, we're not going to go. And others that say, I want to compete against the best in my sport and see where I stand. And they'll still go. How about you, Roland? Uh, these games have just become too political, just too political. I, I mean, I, you know, I used to live to watch the Olympics. Um, now it's like, I don't even want to watch them anymore. Um, I wish they had a neutral country where they're they're held there every four years and stop stop awarding these these games to all these countries where they spend billions of dollars all the time to build infrastructure. Just pick a couple of countries. Pick Switzerland. It's, what's the country that's neutral? Switzerland. Go have your Winter Olympics there all the time. You know, you're gonna get the snow, the, if, the infrastructure. Have the Winter Olympics there all the time. Stop moving these games around. If you, Don uh, Cherry. If you get, if you get a, if you get like some sort of uh, ambassador job with uh, with Switzerland, I'd like you to, you know, just remember where it all started. <laughs> You're not on the payroll, are you? <laughs> Politics of it. Every country has political problems, right? I, I don't know. I, I, I it's think it's just too much. It's I, too much. I hear what you're saying, Brian. I hear what you guys are saying. Um, it, but they're they're blended. We we haven't separated those things. They're blended. There's a financial component for the hosting country. Um, I I just think that to quote to quote a, a music quote, you're gonna stand for something or you're gonna fall for anything. And it just seems like when it comes to the the Olympics, we we don't stand for anything anymore. 
um, we we say, you know, we do these gestures and, and we, we look at the athletes and we say, oh, we don't want to hurt the athlete. I'm all for the athletes, I like completely. But um, there's these other bigger things at play here and we, we need to find a different formula. Uh, I feel like they should just boycott the Olympics, but that's why this is just, a, these are just opinions, right? Because we, uh, yeah. we look at these things a little bit differently. So staying with the Olympics, guys, um, forget boycott for a second. We've been talking about COVID-19. Should the Olympics be canceled because of COVID-19? Yes or no? Should they become the 2023 Olympics? Um, Brian. Yeah, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sound a little different because I, I said in the other one that leave it to the athletes to decide. But I think they should postpone them. I think if they look, A, at, at, at you know, the, the record and where, they're, where they are with China and all that, but also what's going on in the world with, with covid it's not the right time to be getting a whole bunch of people together. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, postponing them is, is whether you call that canceling or whatever, but I definitely don't think they should go on on the dates that they're currently, currently scheduled right now. Roland. Yeah, I'm with that too. They yeah. should postpone them. Are you, postpone in, are, you are you disagreeing Clark? No, I think, I, I think if you look at 2020 with Tokyo and the decision to postpone, how, what's different, what is better now that makes it so that we can go on with these? It seems, I, 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 don't, I don't get that. Uh, so yeah, it should absolutely be postponed. I'm with, I'm, you know, I'll make it easy. I'm with you guys. We've got four cancel or postpones or whatever the case may be. Um, Formula One, um, in December... The championship was settled at the last race between, really, ultimately, Lewis ha- Hamilton and Max Verstappen. Verstappen came out on top. There's a couple of controversial calls during the race, one in the first lap, one in the last lap. Who should have won the F1 championship? Roland. It's been like that all year between the two. Going back and forth, calls that nobody liked. The teams are yelling at each other. It was, actually, it was an exciting Formula One season. That I enjoyed. I watched all the races. I, I enjoyed it. In the end, I mean, it came down to, you know, that last lap. I think at the, that, that first one in the first lap, Hamilton should have been uh, told to, to, to slide back a slot. And mm-hmm. for whatever reason, uh, the race uh, deciders there said no. And then in the final lap, because of the accident that came out of nowhere, and there was a Canadian, and now I'm hearing he's getting, he's getting death threats yeah. from getting into that accident. And that allowed Verstappen to to have a shot at it, and he ended up passing him because he had better, I guess he had better tires, and and he ended up passing. But that's racing, right? It was a great Formula One season. How about you, Brian? Yeah, uh, well, the the guy that won should have won is the one that should have won. Verstappen won it. Um, There's no doubt, no doubt in my mind that if the Canadian he hadn't uh, crashed, that Hamilton would have won. There's no doubt that that crash. But they happened, so that, that's something that could happen. But, uh, you know, Hamilton had it under control. He gambled. He went with the soft tires. He was just hanging on by the skin of his teeth. Here comes an accident, kind of resets it. And I know the big controversy was that, you know, they, they could have let the pace, the, the, the pace car keep going and just sort of ended the race under the pace car, in which case uh, Hamilton would have won. But, hey. How to 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 Clark or Roland's point about a great season? You don't want it to end that way. You don't want that that race between the two giants to end that way. So the race director made a call, 
Mercedes didn't like it, but he said, let them race. And they had that one lap showdown and Verstappen overtook it and took the, took the title. Great ending. And yeah, he deserved to win. How about you, Clark? Yeah. And I mean, in team sports, we talk all the time and we've talked on here repeatedly about the refs and about, uh, about whether they're uh, influencing the game and yeah, the race officials made choices and they applied to everybody out there and Hamilton could have, could have gotten tires, could have, could have done something different. He didn't. That was his call. He gambled. He lost. So you you nailed it. I you you. That's where I was gonna go down the referee path because you know I've always talked about the NHL refs. It was an exciting F one season, but uh, I really didn't like how much the the race stewards or the refs got involved in in the decision making in the in the last race. They decided not to get involved in the first uh, lap, and they decided to get involved in the last lap, and and it was just like. Um, it was just timing, timing of all that. So I, I would I, argue, I would argue though, Riddle, that not making a call is still getting involved. You saying that they didn't make a call means they didn't get involved. They did get involved. They didn't make a call. Yeah, but yeah, I think so that's involved. No, but no it was no, but it was inconsistent. It was inconsistent. It's not like the consistency of it, right? In other races of similar ilk, they would have made a call. Well, then they didn't make a call. It creates confusion for the players, for the drivers. So. That that inconsistent the consistency of inconsistency is what I'm saying still exists. Um, should Verstappen have won? He won, so he he should have won. Did it happen the way everybody wanted it to happen? Probably not. I know Lewis is upset. I know Mercedes is upset. Um, I've never cheered for anybody other than a Ferrari driver, but I found myself cheering for Verstappen this season. He was a he entertained me. He was he was off the charts entertaining. So. I guess we'll see. There's going to be a reset in Formula One. They're changing. The the, the hybrid uh, engine era is over. Uh, I think that was the urgency that Mercedes had with uh, with Hamilton was that they wanted to take advantage of this last year of the of the engine because it's a little bit up in the air next season in terms of what it's going to look like for all the teams. Yeah, the only th- I, I just want to raise the point that uh, that Roland made that shouldn't get lost, and that was about the poor Canadian guy that's getting the death threats. Yeah. I don't think there was any intention on his part to have an accident. And that's where sometimes we've got sports fans whose passion overtakes their logic and reasonability to start weighing on this guy with death threats and, and, and pretty vile, uh, uh, messages to him on, on, uh, on social media is, is, is unacceptable. Um, just because you're upset with the way something played out. We're seeing that over and over in a lot of sports, Brian, and, and it's, yep, it's, complete, it's, it's completely it's shameful. Completely shameful. Yeah. All right, guys, switching gears. Our, our last uh, topic is the Great Cup game. It was uh, played in Hamilton. I thought it was one of the best championship games ever that I've, uh, that I've heard. I actually listened to it, on, to it on the radio instead of watching it on TV. Um, I've been tuning into the CFL more than ever before. If the Blue, Bam- if the Blue Bombers don't get that coin cost... Uh, toy, the coin toss, sorry, um, call, and they pick going with the wind in the for, uh, fourth quarter. Do they win that game? Because it seemed to be like there was a big reliance on on the direction of the wind, and and super exciting. You know, it, it ends up going to overtime, and in the CFL, you got to go for the conversion. You got you can't just kick the field goal. You got to go for the two points, which is super exciting. So, does that happen? Do, do they win the game? Was it entertaining? Start with Brian. You're, you're a yeah. CFL hey, guy. Who knows if the, who knows if that coin toss and that ultimate decision uh, would have 
you know, affected the outcome because that's the beauty of the CFL. You never know what's yeah. going to happen in a CFL game. Um, it's it's never over until it until it's uh, you know that saying it's never over till it's over. Um, they uh, both teams like Hamilton had it at the beginning, thought they were finally going to get their elusive Grey Cup that had eluded them for so long, and then Winnipeg storms back, goes into overtime, super exciting, uh, and uh, it, I agree, it was a great game. I feel bad for Hamilton; they've come close so many times. And uh, again, it just didn't. It just wasn't their year. Hey, Clark, if if the Detroit Lions are in the CFL, would they win the Great Cup? <laughs> so, <laughs> no, they wouldn't. Uh, no, they wouldn't. They'd just be off the field fast. Um, <laughs> but I, I actually, so I mean, the the thing. And I mean, like being in the U.S., we don't get a whole lot of the CFL. But the thing, the the Canadian football to me has always had this like element of chaos to it. That it it just feels crazier than American football to me. And maybe it's because it's rules that I'm not as familiar with. I don't know. I don't know. But it feels like more like weird stuff can happen at any time. And that's kind of what the Grey Cup game felt like to me. That it was that it was it just kind of uh, epitomized that yeah, it was it, it, it was Hamilton's until it wasn't, and it was crazy and it a wild finish. And I, it, no, the Lions would not. Win the Grey Cup. <laughs> <laughs> How about they can't they they can't they they have their own brand of crazy. And it's not CFL crazy. Clark, we're gonna make you a CFL fan soon enough. Roland, how about the Steel? Uh, would the Steelers? Would the Steelers win the Grey Cup? Would the Steelers win the Grey Cup? Yeah, the Steelers yeah. win the, the Grey Cup. But uh, you know, going with what Clark just said, like yeah, the rules in the C in the CFL, like you got twelve players in motion, everybody's moving, nobody's still. You know, it's like every I mean, what is going on here? It's like Hamilton, the flags would be flying all over the place, but. That's what it is. I used to watch it a long time ago. I haven't watched it in a lot of years. Uh, a lot of people still find it, you know, exciting, and uh, you know that's great. I've I I just like I don't know. Maybe it's just I've spent had more time and and I've been watching it. I've I've been falling back in love with it, and I thought it was a great fast game. And I think Clark, you captured it, and Brian, you never know. You just never know. And I I, I like that element of it as much as I like. I love the Montreal Alouettes, of course, Montreal, right? I'm an Alouettes fan, but um, I just love, even if they were not to win, I love the excitement because it, it could just, you know, go either way. Yeah, um, I think the big difference between the two games for me, I, I love watching the CFL because I love seeing offense and passing. Yeah. The big, what you, you don't see as much rushing or, or, you know, you'll watch an NFL game where a, where a team's whole offensive strategy Run is rushing because they got a guy in this. These are guys just lining up and it's a big, push and a push and a push right and to, to you know to what roland was saying with the cfl you got a lot of motion everyone starts running and the quarterback's looking to find somebody to go. check a, a bomb to right so very different game um i don't think you can really compare the two but but yeah it's, it's exciting it's exciting and it's it's canadian all right guys um just winding <laughs> our chat down here january 2022 what is your random prediction in any sport for the year ahead of us? Clark. 
I'm going to say that the Detroit Tigers will make the playoffs. Tigers in the playoffs. A little bit of positivity here. <laughs> I have to say that out loud. Just I, I want to make sure. Tigers, Lions, <laughs> Tigers. We're with the Tigers. Tigers make the playoffs. Yes. Brian. Well, I'm going to stick with the term Tigers, but I'm going with the golfer, Tiger Woods. Ah. It was so cool last week to watch Tiger with his son, Charlie, and holy jumping. Is his kid yeah. ever a good golfer? Yeah. But the jury's out on what's going to happen with Tiger because he was he was driving around in a golf cart and uh, you know he, he's not at full he's not at full health yet. But my prediction is I think he's got such competitive spirit in him that he's going to play in the Open Championship. I don't think he'll be able to play in all the majors, but I think the Open uh, in Britain is one that lends itself to him being able to walk it. And I think he's going to try and get that. He's going to still chase that record if he can. So my prediction is we'll see Tiger Woods play one major and it'll probably be the Open. Yeah. And it was, you're right. I saw that. It was good to see his, uh, it was fun to see his son, Charlie, um, with well, his dad. He's a female. That was cool. Yeah. Can he hit some shots yeah. or what? It's like amazing. <laughs> you know, the funny, just on that, the funniest thing, and they did it with a lot of the fathers and sons, was how alike they are in their swings, their mannerisms, everything, just like the way they pick up the ball, the way they walk. It was, it was cool to watch. I like that. I like that part. Pot, eh? You yeah. see how he walks up? Yeah. Just like a dad. Yeah. Yeah. It was yeah, cool. Absolutely. How about you, Roland? What's your, what's your random? Uh, I'm going to stick to hockey. And just from what I've watched of the games, I'm going to say the Capitals and Ovechkin, I think they're going to raise the cup again this wow. year. Just, yeah, yeah, just from that, the way that team is working right now, that, that's what I'm going to say for 2022. I'm, I'm going to stay with hockey, guys. I'm, my prediction is that <laughs> I'm going to get in trouble for this. <laughs> I'm going to predict the Toronto Maple Leafs are going to lose in the first round. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going with the odds. I, I, I won't bet against that they, either. You know what? They're having a great season. They were having a great season, but I, I'm, I'm sticking. If the, if the NHL uh, plays out the season and when the playoffs happen, I'm saying that they're going to lose in the first round. Yeah, I'll bet you, you Johnny Prosciutto salami that the Leafs will get. <laughs> <laughs> what was that, Clark? You gotta be more specific. Who are they gonna lose to? Oh, that's that, it's still too early. I I don't know. That's uh, that's it. The Washington Capitals. You know what? If I was Don Cherry, I'd be saying, "Yeah, you can take that to the bank." <laughs> All right, guys. Hey, it's been fun. It's uh, like I said, it's a brand new year. Uh, we're gonna have a lot of things to talk about in the coming months. Thanks for doing this. Happy New Year. And take care, everybody. Yeah, happy new year to you and stay safe, everyone. Happy new year. New year. So we typically like to leave you with a uh, song at the end of the podcast. And this one was supposed to be Don't Forget Love by artist Franklin McKay. So it wasn't quite ready when we recorded the podcast and it's recently been released. So here is, for the first time ever, a re-release of our podcast episode with now the inclusion of the new song from Franklin McKay called Don't Forget Love.
six-time billboarding Canadian artist Franklin McKay with Don't Forget Love. Thank you for joining us on our re-release of Season 3, Episode 1 podcast. You can hear that song and more over at thepathradio.com.